We ride. It is Wednesday, and the four horsemen of the Simbalaka Lips. That's a tough word. Have gathered. So, you know, call your friends, send the link to your mom, whatever you got to do. Let's pile everybody in here. This is going to be a good one. We got Mario Garza of Symbolic Studies and Gabriel, the slickest of dissidents who can do the splits on screen. And Elsie King, who has prepared a humongous, humongous presentation on the Equestrious Kabbalah. So we're going to be asking the equestrian questions that you've never thought to ponder. <laughs> we're going to see a lot of gematria, a lot of astrotheology, and maybe just make a little bit more sense of the world that we all share. So I'm super stoked to get into it. <laughs> As Michelle here says, what a stellar crew of men. That's right. We got some serious all-stars here. This is going to be fun. Uh, so everybody, hey, hi, how you doing? I'm good, man. Doing well. Maybe, I'm stoked um, to get into this. Horse symbolism is really deep <laughs> and very much underappreciated, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, the horse of Babylon. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to it. We got we got a long bow to draw here for our horseback archery that we're about to attempt. So maybe we'll just let Lucas introduce the concept of the direction that we're going with all this, since he's the one that so kindly loaded the clip that we're about to fire off. Okay, so it's been like a um, it's been a work in progress for a long time pulling different uh, different threads, but I really didn't have anything that was actually going to bring all these different threads I was pulling out together and weave it into a sort of um, something that made sense of where a direction in a sense. And um, so hopefully this, this um, slideshow is an accumulation and it actually draws it all together and it's actually based on the cube. Um, so as much as, um, it's about horses. It's also about the cube because the the horse Equus and the Kabbalas is is the cube side of it. And so once you see the actual cube and the geometry of it, it's actually three cubes. But once you see that, then all of it sort of leads back to that singular point, that stone in the center of um, that that singular pillar, in a sense. There's so much to get into and. We're talking about <laughs> Kubala, maybe, <laughs> especially yeah, since exactly. Kabbalas in Italian, I believe, or Latin is a horse. So the Kabbalah of horses is quite significant indeed. Yeah. Uh, you guys, Mario, you got any thoughts about the horse symbolism to open up with that maybe has been on your mind before we start hitting up the slides? Yeah, I was talking to Lucas before we got on about how uh, mercurial horse symbolism is. But Mercury seems to be everywhere, so I really shouldn't be surprised. But I was reading up on horse stuff this morning, and sure enough, Mercury was there showing his head. And uh, I think there's a lot to say about that, about the horse as an animal um, related to the psychopomp aspect of, you know, guiding souls to the afterlife and whatever. That's why you see the horse on the death card, everything else. So it definitely has to do with uh, journeying to the other side. Yeah, I'll just throw in there that one of the archaic names for the psychopomp in terms of like mysticism, they were the manes, which is spelled the exact same way as we would spell main or the mains, which is also a word for hand. <laughs> it's the, the hand of Yod. This is a, a horse with hands. I don't know, but definitely the horses have manes and 
the Mercury is the Mane. Uh, Gabriel, you got any opening thoughts for us? Yeah, right in line with what you said, man. I'm always looking out for that hidden hand, the hidden yod, and you know, the canted square generates the uh, six-sided shape. And when you put the yod, the Y shape in the middle, uh, it generates a three-dimensional cube out of that six-sided shape. So I am always got my eye out for the hidden hand of the yod of the capitalistic secrets hidden within everything. Yeah, we're about to dig them all up, aren't we? I'll just add to that uh, yod, 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 you know, it's a little flame. It's a little spark, right? That kind of gives birth to the rest of the Hebrew alphabet. And there's a lot of fire symbolism related to the horse and water symbolism. I thought that was really interesting. There's so much water symbolism with the horse. It kind of is, is nuts. So I'm sure we'll get into that here today. So it's all very fascinating. Yep. Just like off the top of our heads, we have Neptune who was called Neptune Equestris and he rode his seahorses. And there's also, I'd have to like little looking it up, but I believe there are words in Italian that equate like, the foam of waves in the sea to horses as well, like uh, homonyms, <laughs> you know, when a word means two different things, same, same word. So Lucas, do you want us to jump into it? Do you have any other things to add before we pull up some slides? No, let's, let's go. I got one thing to drop on seahorses. I freaking love seahorses. <laughs> seahorses, uh, the male, is the one that bears the young. And so the idea of a seahorse is a very interesting uh, implication towards that uh, old anal homunculus male birthing ritual that we're always circling around. So I just got to throw that out there. Fucking love seahorses. Nice, nice. That's awesome. All right, let me get this slideshow going. Make it big. For some reason, even though I've used PowerPoint a bunch of times, I'm struggling. Okay, there we go, full screen. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm so excited. We have so much to share with you. Thank you again, Lucas. This is epic, dude. Seriously, this, this is like the best gift that you can give to a podcast host is show up with like slides and a whole presentation. Seriously, making my day. Christmas in July. All right. Equus Cabalas by Elsie King. All right. You want me to read this first, buddy? Yeah, go for it, mate. All right. We're starting out with the logos. One of the meanings of logos is ratio, as in mathematical ratio, the pattern which connects, the principle of mediation between extremes, the conceptual link between one and many, Unity and multiplicity. As the Pythagoreans realized, the principle of Logos underlies the manifestation of harmony at its very core. It is through the principle of mathematical ratio that the natural harmony of music arises, and it is through the principles of harmonic mediation, expressed mathematically, that the musical scale is created. This study shows for the first time in the modern era how the ancient scientific understanding of the Logos underlies the names and attributes of Apollo and Hermes, the Greek gods of music, harmony, and geometry. Oh, I like where this is going. (laughs) 
This mathematical symbolism originated in the Pythagorean and Orphic schools, which maintained that the nature of the gods, or the first principles of creation, is defined by number. This symbolism resulted from a quest for a universal language and from the realization that, in matters of both scientific and spiritual concern, the ultimate nature of reality transcends the limitations of our common, day-to-day language. Remarkably, some of the earliest Christians took over this pre-existing symbolism of the Logos, the symbolism of Apollo, and used it as the underlying basis on which certain New Testament allegories were based. It's <laughs> a based introduction for sure. Um, so that's from this book here. Um, get it so it's not. It's called Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The, I've taken a fair bit of information through this slideshow from this book. So if anyone's interested, it's really, really worth getting your hands on this and um, going through the information. Um, it's it's really brilliant. Yeah, I think also it's worth pointing out that Apollo and Hermes at the core are not really that different. <laughs> no, they're nearly always talking about the same things as far as I can tell. Um, it's it's just going back to a, a singular sort of idea of music ratio, exactly what he was talking about. It is a, a sort of like a mathematical language and the personifications that come for it, from it are basically um, – as far as I can tell, they're they're derived from the gematria first. You know, they're not something that's like a character that's born and then they add the gematria. It's quite the reverse, that you have a set of numbers and a set of principles and how they interact, and then it's um, and then you derive a character from that those ideas. Right, dude. That's exactly what I think too. That to equate this to music that different music or a specific music, I should say has a similar emotional effect and movement in the person who hears it in their energy. Right. We all know what what sad bastard music is, (laughs) or we all know the, you know, carnival music. It has a vibe. So in a similar way, language is encoded with number, just like music is number put to time. And with language, through gematria, we can find that certain concepts and certain stories actually have a numerical sync with each other, just like music has a genre and that genre evokes certain feelings. Well, there are certain stories that you could, maybe you could call this archetype. Maybe you could call this like the hero's journey and different parts of the hero's journey have almost like a numerical significance to them. But the point being the uh, ancient world that the different religions and mythologies and systems were all derived from the same numerical program that Lucas is talking about. So a priest from one civilization could feasibly travel to another entirely different region. And because they knew the cipher of what the language equates to a number, they would be able to pick up on what the story actually meant. And to the common folk, if you will, they actually are getting the same type of feeling out of the mythology that has a certain gematrological ratio to it as another culture gets from their story that has a similar gematrological ratio. Even if those stories have contextual differences based on the culture in the region, does that all make sense? 
Well, that's that's how you would tell that something's true. It's it's almost you know one plus one equals two. You know it's inherently true. So if the the personifications line up with the gematria, then you know it's got an inherent truth in it as well. So it's it really is interesting. And once you look at the cube as the basis for it, it's almost like the foundation stone. That then you can start building the rest of um, the stories from, and that's what we seem to be keep coming back to is that center point, that foundation stone actually gives you the mathematics that you need to create the rest of it. Um, but we'll go, we'll, we'll keep going, I suppose. We've got a fair bit to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I don't mind taking the tangents. And if we wind up three hours in and we didn't finish the slides, we can just, you know, pick this up as a part two, because what we're talking about is the never ending story anyway. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do our best, but Definitely want to make sure Gabriel and Mario have a chance to weigh in on all the things as we go. So don't be shy, guys. Do you guys need, have any thoughts on Gematria and music? I'm sure you do, Gabe. Yeah, man. You look uh, like it. Right away, I'm thinking about uh, Mario's work on the uh, on that chariot card. You know, I just love what you've done, Mario. I love it, man. It's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Because, we, you know, you pointed out that the chariot card is always in that block, in that cube. And language is called a vehicle. You know, it is the vehicle for the, the spirit of concepts. And it's just, it's really powerful that we're, uh, we're addressing this, you know, fundamental of, of all cultures, as far as I can tell. It's really, it's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Thanks, man. And uh, I guess the only thing I'll add is that, uh, one, actually, Chance, you said that really well. That's awesome. I totally agree with you. Same with Lucas. Um, but I like how the box saga puts it. And basically we're saying that the root language makes sense for all the reasons that you guys just proposed. And so if the story doesn't make sense with the root language, because there's a mix match there, uh, they'll understand, they'll know. So there's like an inherited sort of like checks balances sort of system that is embedded into all of this stuff, the stories and the language itself, along with how, it relates to uh, the mathematics and numerology of everything. So I think that's like an amazing way of looking at things. Um, kind of blows my mind just thinking about it. And we haven't even started, but already there's like fireworks going on off of here. So it's so guys. good. This is really the dream <laughs> team. I'll just throw out there that Bach is a word. Bach in German, I think, refers to a stream or a river pertaining to flow. And when you like without going into too far of a tangent, when you really study the philology around words pertaining to flow and water, you come right back to sun symbolism and language roots pertaining to light because light <laughs> water is life and the sun gives life. So water is the sun on a, you can almost symbolically equate them in this, in this way. So also the, the word Bach, if you were to uh, make the C H into a K, <laughs> you know, you're basically saying book and backwards. You're basically saying cube. If you say book backwards. So there's that too. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> all right. All right. I should pull up the next slide. Samadhi. Samadhi is the eighth and final step on the path of yoga as defined by Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. The term is derived from several Sanskrit roots, meaning together or completely, a meaning toward, a meaning toward, and de, D-H-E, meaning put. Direct translations vary, and interpretations range from bliss to liberation and even enlightenment. 
In Hinduism and Buddhism, samadhi is regarded as the pinnacle of all spiritual and intellectual activity, in addition to being a precondition for attaining samsara, release from the cycle of death and rebirth. In yoga, samadhi is considered to be the state in which individual and universal consciousness unite. It is a blissful form of total meditative absorption, reached once the practitioner has moved through the preliminary steps on patan, Patanjal's, sorry, Patanjal's Eightfold Path. The spiritual significance of samadhi is profound since it encompasses self-realization and symbolizes the ultimate connection with the divine. The reason I put this slide in is because alongside the um, this north type idea, <clears throat> this um, central point in in the world, is the idea of um, you know that togetherness, that um, spiritual sort of heights, um, in a sense as well. So there definitely is a correlation between this meditative practice, um, these Buddhist side of practices, and the um, the north as well. So I just sort of add that in there to sort of set the tone in a sense. Yeah, that feels good. I, uh, I dig that. All right. I'm going to bring up the next one. We'll just kind of chug forward a little bit and you other guys, you know, jump in any point, right? Mario, actually, would you feel down to read this slide for us? Sure. <clears throat> Excuse See me. Why I After I get a drink of water. <laughs> yeah, dude, go for it. I'll also take a drink while everybody remember to drink water. It's fucking July. <laughs> Put some cucumber in your water too. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he's great, dude. I love that. It's awesome that it comes around every once in a while too. Like I see it at least once a year without even looking for it. Um, the Omphalos. In Greek mythology, the so-called robe or veil of Harmonia was probably in reference to the geometrical nets it is a fish nets for the entire pattern is governed by square foot of three and the realm of geometry springs from the vesca pisces the quote vessel of the fish the symbolism predates christianity and represents the woven web of nature or the vilifying power of harmony which enforces the pattern of creation the orphix possessed book entitled the nets and the veil and the Omphalo stone in the temple of Apollo in Delphi was covered with a netting pattern. And the language of ancient mysticism to unravel the veil is to discover the weaver. I think the people watching us now have discovered the weavers. <laughs> yeah, so this is the net symbolism and we'll see it's part of a geomet geometric structure. Um, but it was placed over that that singular stone that we're we're going to get into that cube stone. Um, so the covering of that was this geometric net that they're talking about. Yeah, the omphalos uh, is a really important symbol to understand. So I'm really glad you're bringing it up. Yeah, that reminds me. Uh, we we kind of touched on this recently. Uh, I think just in the last week about the uh, the fact that uh, ARK is a 153 in septenary, and that's the 17th triangular number, uh, which uh, and 153 is the number of fish that were predicted by Jesus uh, that would come out of the net when they cast their net to the right hand side of the boat. It yielded 153 fish. 
which when you multiply that by two, let's say you cast a net on the left side of the boat also, you would have got 306, which creates a full circle. Two arcs, two arcs, two nets would make a complete 306. Nice, nice. That's awesome. And then both of those numbers that you throw out uh, add up to nine. And I think of the hermit card and the whole idea, the vortex base uh, math idea of nine always returning to itself. And then that card is related to Virgo and you have the Vesca Pisces right there in Virgo. And Lucas, I don't know if we talked about this the other day, but it seems as though I think Kaylee was talking about it, actually. Uh, Virgo being related to sacred geometry. And I think it has to do with the Vesca Pisces. So I think that's kind of the root of that um, relationship there. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. Um, definitely. Yep. And nice, it's nice. One, 180 degrees away from Pisces, the two fish. So Nice, yeah. nice. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's For great. Sure. This is so fun. All right, Lucas, you're going to break down some number gravy for us here. Yep. So the the main themes kind of that's going to pop up is this 27. And when you look at the Omphalus, um, the gematria of the Omphalus, you actually get the 216, which is your six times six, six times six. And then you will get the 18, which is six plus six plus six. But you also see that the, the breakdown of this will relate to Equus. Which is a five, a four, a six, a six, and a six, which is a total gematria of 27. So you can see there's a direct relationship between the horse and this Omphalus stone. And um, so, yeah, we'll keep going. It's <laughs> probably it. Uh, Gabriel just had like a miniature aneurysm over the 216, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's so amazing that's the uh, tax uh it's, it's a big to do clearly a pivotal element in everybody's life whether they like it or not yeah uh relating to the analemma of the sun and the crossing point and when you look at those vowels aou the the o is the sun the ohm the, it's the symbol of the sun it's the pr- original vowel is the ohm and the symbol of source as well and you know when I when we bring up the that everything relates back to the sun is because at least in my opinion the sun is the symbol and representation in our three dimensional aspect of reality of source. It isn't obviously the source, and thus you wouldn't want to idolatrize it or anything. But it makes sense how that happens. So the other two letters, the AU, that's the O or the OR, <laughs> the hour. <laughs> Yeah, so that's very sun as well. Uh, let's go forward to the next slide here. All right. And this one, like, I, we can just sort of riff on it a bit, but um, it's just one thing I noticed is when I was looking at the etymology of Equus, you, you get the, the equal and um, eagle, which is another sort of, or egal, which is another sort of, um, word for equal and then legal obviously sort of fits into these letters very simply with just an L on the front of it and then eagle as well. So you get this sort of movement from the horse to the eagle, um, which I found just really, really fascinating with equal in, in between it, which would 
you know, sort of symbolize that Virgo as well. Um, or, um, Virgo or Libra, you know what I mean? With the, the, the equalizing, but, um, so, you know, I didn't know what really to make of it, but when you have the horse and the eagle joined into one form, you actually get a Pegasus, which is basically a winged horse. Um, so I found all these sort of little um, movements quite interesting. And I, it's really for you guys to sort of get what you guys think about it. I don't really know where else to go with it. Yeah, let's go through a couple of the points on this slide. So first, of course, the word horse in Latin is equus, right? Ferris cabalus. What does ferris mean? F-E-R-U-S. The carrier. Right. <laughs> so I'm looking at other words for horse. We have stallion. And that is also not a, a big stretch from star, actually. Uh, stallion. Stel, stellion, stel, star, LR switch in languages is super common. So mm -hmm. stallion is starion, <laughs> star ion. And also in this whole equating of equus, equal, eagle, legal, that also gives us regal, legal and regal, lex rex. There's that LR switch. It's very common. Uh, yep. So you guys got any other thoughts? You know, we got that term, you know, uh, get off your high horse, you know, and people wearing the badge of legality uh, think very highly of, the, of themselves. <laughs> uh, and also I'll point out that Ferris is um, anagram for seraph, makes me think of the seraphim. But all, all, all things riding high come to mind here, you know. Nice. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'll add is that when you look at Pegasus in the night sky, the actual center of Pegasus is a very obvious square and it's just above Pisces. So Pisces kind of makes a V shape and it's a noticeable V shape. And within that V shape is a square. It kind of looks like a diamond. And as we're talking about the cube uh, being a foundation stone, as you're saying, Lucas, uh, it's just interesting that Pegasus would be the square, right? And the old Babylonian tradition um, that relates to this constellation was that it was actually a field. So this square was a field that basically um, where I think the world tree was like planted and grew and it existed between two rivers. And the, those two rivers are the two rivers of Pisces. And so there's this mythology that this is like the original field, perhaps the Garden of Eden perhaps symbolic of uh, the field of earth, you know? Um, and then I just want to say something regarding the last slide. So there's the serpent around the Omphalos. This is like the Orphic egg symbol, right? And it's really common to have sacred center polar symbols like the world tree and wrap a snake around it because the Omphalos essentially is that. So this is like the world mountain, the world tree, the polar axis, the axis mundi, et cetera. So the Omphalos is just another way of expressing that. Yeah, uh, can I riff on that last slide too? I, uh, I'm not. Uh, there's so much information here; it's amazing. So we were just mentioning that Analima tax day being 4:15, but on the uh, on the drops side, on the opposite side, uh, it, it crosses the X on 8:27. Uh, 
and that's Elkanelia. But guess what 8 times 27 is? 216. It's remarkable. Yeah, it's Gabriel so- and I once had a car ride for like two hours where we just talked about 216. <laughs> <laughs> it goes on and on and on. It's so wild. But I just discovered that a week ago and I was like, uh, definitely saving that for this uh, particular uh, little gravy session. And if yeah, you think eight, about seven, it is the eighth month, right? So you're multiplying it by eight, but the analemma itself is a big figure eight. Yep. And it's known as Lord eight. Yes. And you could even, uh, you could perceive it as two eggs, a large egg below and a small egg balancing on the tip of the bottom egg. Uh, just another thought there. But yeah, I just thought I'd drop that while we got the 216 flowing. Yeah, and it's maybe obvious, but worth pointing out that the Om Phallus stone is the Om, <laughs> the sun, and then the Phallus, which is the, y'all know what your Phallus is, right? Okay. <laughs> Excellent point, just, dude. There's a lot of phallic symbolism with the horse, too, which is kind of obvious. But um Basically, cutting off the phallus of the horse was like a common ritual, as was horse sacrifice. This is like a thing that has been going on for like a very, very, very long time. So maybe we'll get into that at some point. Yeah. Just to go on about your Pegasus as well. Sorry to interrupt there. Um, But that Pegasus means spring. And you you get a lot of symbolism, especially through the Bible, where um, basically they'll hit a rock and a spring will come forth or something like that as well. So it's got that omphalus, but also springtime, and then the water's coming forth. Beautiful. And Pisces is the last sign of the year before we enter into spring, which is where uh, Pegasus is, basically. Yeah, and another, there's so much symbolism here to talk about, but Pegasus was rode by Hercules. Hercules had 12 labors. Hercules is the sun traveling through the 12 zodiacal signs so there are other sun gods mercury being one of them or hermes being one of them many many of them who ride a chariot that carries the sun behind it helios does this as well alios <laughs> and there you go <laughs> i mean that's a and okay so first also you have the mare or the mare which is meaning the sea it's where we get the mother mary of course and a mare is a female horse. Uh, yeah, there's that. We're also talking about the omphalus, the stone, the stone that the waters flow from when it's struck. This is very much like the. Uh, <laughs> an, OK, so Pegasus isn't that far off from the word pagan or Pegas. Pegas means hill. In fact, when you call somebody a pagan, it's no different philologically than when people call Arkansas folk hillbillies. Yeah. Actually, pagan, pagan means hill folk. So yep. the ultimate pagos, <clears throat> the ultimate hill would be the the hill of whatever the mount is, the holy mountain is like the same as the this concept of the hill of Mars. And this so okay, so let's see how I can weave this. This hill of Mars, <laughs> well, Mars rules the sea. Mars is phonetically Mare. Mar backwards is Ram. Ram is the first sign in the zodiac. Ram is a Hebrew word meaning most high. 
<laughs> it's just a couple of things we could say about that. Yeah, Whoa. no, exactly. Just real quick, I'm reminded of uh, the Virgin Mary being called Virgin Mary Star of the Sea. And so this is the North Star. This is the guiding star. So, you know me, everything's going to weave around that, basically. Uh, But the Hill Folk, I love that, dude. I did not know that about Pagan. That makes a ton of sense. And so to me, it would just be their cultural sacred mound. You know what I mean? Their family mound or uh, potentially their family tree, kind of an Yggdrasil sort of concept or whatever, where they congregate around, you know. um, So that's kind of what I think of personally. But I love that, man. I'm going to totally think about that and chew on it for a bit. Right. And then to connect to this Aquila, the Eagle, which is also in astrology, a precursor to what we have as Scorpio, or you could look at it as like a different polarity of Scorpio, like the higher octave of Scorpio. Well, (laughs) okay. So Scorpio pertains to like death and transformation in the Zodiac. It's the kiss of betrayal where the sun begins to really fall hard. And Another word, so we're talking about mare, mare, the sea, Mars. Well, what is a warrior? A warrior is one that goes and fights for Mars. Between Sanskrit and Latin and other languages, but particularly between Sanskrit and Latin, the W and the M interchange. And it makes sense because they're just an upside down version of each other. So a warrior is a (laughs) marrier. A warrior is... Mars is man. It's death's man. And this symbolism is replete. There's so many places. Like I was just listening to an audiobook where they're talking about Abraham, <laughs> Abraham, the high father of darkness, Abram, high father. It's got Ram in it and Ham, meaning darkness or black. Abraham goes to the top of a mountain called Moria. Moria is Maria. Mar. So more is a root that gives us death as much as it gives us sea, which is makes perfect sense because Mars ruling war. <laughs> that's why you have that association with uh, Aries being like a fighter or warrior. Uh, Mars rules Scorpio traditionally as well. So when it's said that Abraham goes to the top of Mount Moria to talk to Yahweh, Yahweh is Mars, guys. <laughs> Yahweh is a, a fighting god. <laughs> That's no like it's obvious, right? When if you have any familiarity with the Old Testament. So there's all that. I mean, it even makes it into pop culture in the fact that in the Lord of the Rings, for example, they're going to Mordor. So some thoughts on that. Excellent stuff, dude. I'm into it. Um, I'll just add that in the Thoth deck, death is actually at the bottom of the ocean instead of riding a horse. So I think that's very interesting, kind of making that watery connection very much present with death. Uh, and then also, too, when I see Achilla, the eagle, I think of Aquarius. And then I think of Aquarius being the water bearer. And uh, Ganymede, if that's how it's said, is the water bearer to Zeus. And a lot of times when you see that interaction, Zeus is an eagle. So it'll literally be Zeus being given, you know, the water from his young boy servant sort of thing. So whenever I see that AQU, I always think of Aquarius and there's some overlapping stuff going on there. Yeah. So also we're talking about here in your slide, it says that Aquila is a word of uncertain origin, usually explained as the dark bird. Well, <laughs> we're going to probably make a lot of equations of Jesus to Equus to Zeus, as it says in this slide, but Krishna is a word meaning black. Krestos, 
Christos coming from the same root relating to black. And whenever you see Jesus with a dove, the dove represents the yoni in Hinduism, but it also is a secretive way of encoding black, just like Osiris, uh, just like many other of these gods. Jesus is symbolically encoded as one of these black gods, the dark bird, like we're talking about in this slide here with Akila. And that's because dove is basically the same word as the Gaelic word dub. The B and the V switch between the languages, between Gaelic and other languages, uh, especially with Latin. And so D-U-B-H, dub, is the same as D-U-V-E. Because it, the E is also the eta. It's the H sound, especially in Greek. So when you see Jesus with a white dove, it's actually one of the symbolic meanings is actually black, oddly enough, which is a more secretive way than showing him with like a crow, which would be a corvus, which is chronos. I would have to talk more to explain why chronos and corvus are the same word, but they are. <laughs> so yeah. there's that. The. The reason I think this is my sort of personal opinion on that blackness um, is part of that samadhi that I brought up in the in the earlier slide, and it's really to do with sort of midnight when when um, you know the stars are at their most, or in in a sense when you close your eyes and then you go in and you find that internal light within yourself. So it's absence of light that actually brings the self-realization in a sense. Um, so that's how I equate that blackness, um, these words that define the blackness as um, part of a sort of spiritual practice of uh, a meditation in a sense. Nice. I like that a lot. Yeah, very interesting stuff. I'll just say uh, the dub thing is interesting because I know Dublin means black pool. That's where it came from is this black pool. And then also it just uh, thinking of Christ or Jesus as being black reminds me of the black Madonna. And there are like, you know, statues and paintings and stuff of a black Madonna with a black Christ. And often she's also holding a red egg. Ooh, nice. That's intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so that was a lot to un that we unpacked on one slide. Awesome. <laughs> oh, man, this is quite the team. All right, Lucas, take it away. Okay, so this is just another representation of that um, omphalos, in a sense. Um, it's called terminus or terminal. Um, it, again, encodes the same um, breakdown in gematria as Mercury and Jesus, um, where you break it down into the vowels and the consonants and you get 16 and 11. Um, but again, it's, it's showing that um, symbolism of the man and the rock and that um, it is a um, stone that they would lay at boundaries of places. Um, so that's basically it. It was an, another way of showing that um, that this same theme has been brought over into sort of Roman type uh, material as well. So um, just for some context, they would put this stone with the bust at a boundary line to signify that border. Yeah, exactly. And it has some connection with um, 
that they would go and lay um, gifts and things to it at um, the start of the new year as well. So again, it's pointing to that, um, you know, it would be probably the birth of Christ or the, um, that midnight again, if you're looking at it in a daily clock. Yeah. I want, yeah. I, I want to mention that, uh, Lucas, I love how you isolate the consonants and the vowels. Like that is so next level. I really love how you do that. Uh, cause it, uh, it really brings forth the power of gamatria on a, on a much deeper level. And I just got to uh, big up you for, for taking it to that level. Cause that is priceless. That's so good. That's so good to see. Well, if you go to um, the homepage of, um, oh, it was Marty Leeds, but it's Gnostic Canopy now. Um, but he has a, basically a button where you can separate the vowels from the consonants. And in some sense, you can think of those two as like masculine and feminine. So you're dividing the word up into its masculine and feminine components. Um, so you're doing a little bit of the trinity or the the um, polarities on it. Yes. High-grade alchemy. I love it. This is awesome, dude. Um, it reminds me that there used to be a... I believe it was a Roman statue called the Herm and it looked very similar. There was no arms, but uh, the figure had a phallus and that this statue used to be put at the crossroads. And so uh, I just wonder if there's any relationship between the Herm and the, uh, the terminus, this terminal here. I think that's intriguing. And then uh, also I just have to point out the symbolism of the twin pillars with the arc across it is very much like what I'm looking into right now with some of the chariot stuff that I've been digging into regarding the, um, uh, the keystone at the top of the arch in Royal arch masonry and how that's symbolic of the North. And to me, it's symbolic of the axis Mundi and everything else. So I just thought I would throw that out there. And then also, did you mention too, that this stone or that's hanging above could potentially be part of the Georgia Guidestones. Is that what's on top of the Georgia Guidestones, that flat stone? Mm, I'm not sure. But when you relate it to Herm, um, well, that's Mercury, as soon as you say that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. They're, yeah. They're, 100%. they're pretty much the same thing. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what that board is above there, but it's, it was just an image I got. I know Gabe was in the weave. Doesn't that remind you of the top stone there for the uh, Georgia Guidestones? Yes, sir, it does. It totally does. And I, I seem to recall, Lucas, didn't you say something about uh, ter- uh, Jupiter Terminalis uh, being venerated in the winter, like somewhere around January or February? Yeah, I think it was about uh, January 23rd, but you okay. really sort of can't trust too much about those um, <laughs> those Wikipedia articles, but, you know, generally uh-huh. in that vicinity. They, it would have been just a new year, so similar mm-hmm. to Janus, which is, again, that's a Mercury character. Yeah. Yes, it is. And then it's also a Kronos character uh, yeah. because Kronos or Saturn was ended up being attributed this boundary quality as after it was then point made into the uh the name for the wandering star Saturn. And it's in the name, Saturn. <laughs> so we're talking about we're definitely talking about the same thing here. 
Yeah, and Mercury does that same thing where it, it covers the boundaries. It's it goes wherever it wants. It's it is the you know uh, <laughs> the whole entire thing in a sense. Um, and I, I sort of had a go at breaking down the. I'm not um, as good as you guys at the word sort of stuff, but um, I had a go at breaking down terminal and and there is a relationship between ter and tor and turn. Um, so it's and uh, minimal. So it's, it's almost like no turning in a sense. Um, so that would be an expression of that um, Polaris point as well. It doesn't turn. It is that singular point. Speaking of the true North, actually over on the Rockfin side, we got a cool comment from Ben Balderson who said Aquila in the first English Bible referred to a wind from the north. So I hadn't heard that before. The true north, the north tree, the generally accepted meaning of old Norse Yggdrasil is Odin's horse, meaning gallows. This interpretation comes about because Drasil means horse and Yig. Yig is one of Odin's many names, almost like egg there, Yig egg. This sort of speaks for itself, doesn't it? <laughs> what we've been saying about, you know. Absolutely. Um, so I'm just really with this slide, I'm only just pointing out that um, there is a direct relationship between that north tree um, and this, and horses. So, uh, yeah. and the horse and the right. rider. Yeah. Okay. I have something to add real quick. So I was looking into horse before the show and one of my books says that, uh, one of Odin's names, one of his titles was Volsi, V-O-L-S-I, meaning both son of God and horse's penis. So just throwing that out there. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, so I always point out that Yggdras, that Drasil, is lizard in reverse. And in the context of that Polaris, uh, so I, I read into it lizard egg. And in the context of Polaris, we have Hydra, which is uh, circling the, that pole star, Polaris. So that we have a lizard and we have an egg in Yggdrasil and Hydra and Polaris. We got a big read here. I will tackle this. I volunteer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Unless you want it, do you, you want this whole thing read, right? Oh, well, we you know, we want to skip through a little bit because we we've got a fair bit more to cover. So, but this Maybe. one I was really just pointing out that there's a um you know, there's a relationship between this and the arc and cubic stone. It, it sort of brings it all together in this little bit, but um, it, it generally, um, you know, we don't have to go through that. People can screenshot it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I kind of want. I'm just going to do it, dude. I, I want to okay. know all these. I want to know all the gravy you had on on offer. Uh, Santilana, Santilana offers several examples to support the association between navel stones and the flood by referring to their function as plugs, an idea typified by the following phrase. The opening of the navel brings the deluge. 
<laughs> you know what? Plug is also perg. <laughs> Purge. <laughs> Pull the plug. Purge. However, of even greater interest is that we see in Hamlet Mill that certain common subject matter has been approached, but through a different medium, namely mythology. The primary emphasis of their research was the existence of an ancient system of astronomical, astrological knowledge involving the procession of the equinoxes and the constellations stored in mythologies around the world. It is from their work we are made aware of a significant set of stories concerning the purpose of navel stones through which such already described associations are reinforced. In the Sumerian myth of Utnapishtim, who is Noah, we are told that the first ark was a cube measuring 60 by 60 by 60 fathoms, which represents the unit in sexagesimal system, where 60 is written as one. In one version, we are told that there is no ark, just a cubic stone, which rests on a pillar, which reaches from earth to heaven. In the Old Testament, these elements are repeated when we learned that Noah, Noah's Ark, was also a cube, whose landing symbolized the end of the Great Flood. In Jewish legends, it is said that since the Ark disappeared, there is a stone in its place, which was called the Foundation Stone, and it is said to lie above the waters that are below the Holy of Holies. In Mecca, the navel of the Islam faith, there stands the Holy Stone of the Kaaba, which is also a cube. And we are told that even Christ is compared to a cube-shaped mountain. But why a cube? Apart from the obvious fact that a cube represents a single unit, as in the Sumerian base 6, the traditional reason for the cube shape is suggested as being the shape designated for the planet Saturn, as illustrated in Kepler's Mysterium Cosmographicum. To support this idea, Santillana reminds us that in this group of stories, the figure or power who warns Noah of the impending flood and suggests the dimensions of the ark, is Saturn, as Jehovah, as Inki, as Tane, etc. The antiquity of these traditions is shown by the fact that in pre-Islamic days before the Kaaba was constructed, there was a well on the site which had a statue of the god Hubal across the opening to prevent the waters from rising. Hildegard Levy points out that in pre-Islamic days, the the god Hubal was Saturn, and that the holy stone of the Kaaba served the same symbolic function. Yeah. Was it worth it, Chance? Yeah. Worth it, I think everybody thinks that was worth it. It was absolutely (laughs) worth it, dude. Yeah, man. Nice. So the plug just reminds me once again of the keystone at the top of the Royal Arch, right? That keystone that's right in the middle that bridges the gap between the two pillars. And sometimes it's removed and the eye of God, the eye of providence is on top of uh, that arch looking downward. And so it would, to me, it would make sense. Actually, what you're looking at a lot of times in the uh, Freemasonic artwork is God is looking down through that hole uh, where the keystone would have been. And he's looking at the Ark of the Covenant, right? And so uh, I think there's just a lot of overlapping stuff kind of going on here, but I can see that being the plug that's pulled when the deluge happens. Good stuff, dude. That's an awesome entry. Okay. I think that's the the bulk of the reading. So the, the next is sort of little pictures and we'll just sort of fly through it a bit more. But um, um, so if we go to probably skip the next slide, and then go to the the Jesus and Equus, and we'll just see the the Geomatria breakdown and how they're both exactly the same. 
I'm not skipping any slides. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I what saw I, what you said to skip and I was like, no, bro. No, let's look at this. This is good. Okay. What are we looking at? Okay. So this is the breakdown of Equus and you can see that if you do um, the consonants and vowels and break it apart that way, the consonants equals uh, a four and a six, which is a 10. Um, four times six equals 24. And then on the uh, vowel side, you'll get the 566. That'll be 180, so it's a triangle. Um, and the 24 times the 180 will give you the 4320, so 432. Um, if you remove the the vowels from horse in relation to Equus's horse, you get hours. So from there, it sort of led me to, well, if we're talking about hours, um, where are the horses in the Zodiac as a clock? And it really took me to two main places, um, and that was um, Sagittarius, obviously, is a, a man out of a horse or a man and a horse, and um, Gemini, which is two horses and two men. Um, they're sort of known for their sportsmanship and, and that sort of thing. And what I did was count these two, um, you know, so the horse and the man as two legs and four legs. And so that gave me a six and a six at the top, which give me a 12. And then the, the Sagittarius, which is a one man and a one horse will give me a six. So I just found that interesting that these two, uh, sort of signs opposing each other will give a 12 and a 6 as in 12 um, a.m. or p.m. and 6 a.m. or p.m. So they are basically when the sun is in Gemini at Gemini's foot, you'll get the that's the summer solstice and it's right passing that Milky Way line. And also the winter solstice is again on the on that Milky Way line, and that is when the sun is just, um, just before Sagittarius or just at, at its bow. Um, so that's that's giving you um, the solstices in a sense, the solstices and um, for the summer and the winter. So I want to riff on the horse removing the vowels and getting HRS, which is hours, and also clearly it's Horus. That is. Horus is the sun in ancient Egypt, but in Greek, the word hand is cher, and it is spelled with the chi symbol, which looks like an X, and then eta, iota, rho. So that to us kind of looks like, uh, okay, so the X symbol in the Greek alphabet, phonetically, it's more like H-I. So if you took the vowels out of that, the word for hand, you're getting something very similar to the HRS. So also that her word is very close to the Sanskrit word har, which means to carry. Harma means a car. <laughs> so get uh, well, horses carry you, right? Yep. And then awesome. because we have that sound with the that letter in the Greek alphabet, it means that the word, this word her is not, especially with, if you take the vowels out and just look at it philologically, very, very similar to the CHRS because you can make a similar sound to the X with a CH. So CHRS, Christus, Christ, Christus, Christ, 
it's all there. Yeah, that's 100%. interesting. Um, so the Hebrew letter associated with the chariot card, which he's typically drawn by horses and relates to cancer and the horse symbolism with that card is just like through the roof, actually, um, is Chet, C-H-E-T, and it means canopy. And so it's kind of like this arch, right? Or the arc. Um, it's also like the top of a tent sort of thing, or it's an enclosed space. So kind of like what you're saying reminds me a lot of that. And it's C-H-E-T, just like chariot or chair or whatever else. Um, but dude, honestly, Lucas, this is awesome, dude. You're really cracking codes here. So uh, I just appreciate all the work you've put into this. It's awesome. And I'd rather having you break it down for us too and to be able to ask questions and riff on it is like yeah. absolutely massive man so it's really really sinking in right now and integrating oh thanks man thanks yeah man uh so, so mario every time you say uh you talk about that canopy and that cat i just i think of hat right away oh you know? yeah dude a hat and then uh kind of jumping back to the hair uh, in Gemini, there is the minor decan of Lepus, which is a little bunny rabbit, which is also in some cultures called a hare. Uh, yeah, 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 dude. Yep, and that oh, is and uh, hair. Hair is like har, harma, yeah, carry or a car in Sanskrit, right? And you put a het on top of your hair, <laughs> <laughs> and het is the Hebrew letter H. Yes, yes, I love it. And, and, just, and you pull a rabbit from your hat. And you pull the rabbit out of your hat. <laughs> there there you it go, is. Full circle. <laughs> Full circle, baby. I love it. Uh, we're getting too good. Uh, we're getting like porn spam in the chat. So <laughs> must be extremely good gravy. <laughs> Somebody can't handle it. It's so I want to riff more on the car, the har and the car, the her. Uh, you know, that's actually where you, that Greek word her is where you get Cairo chiropractor chiron so another word for the ferryman who is a psychopomp who's crossing the boundary the river sticks from one world to the next is charon and so it's got that car root jesus is a carpenter is he not so Jesus yes. is care. He's a charon <laughs> yes I, I always i always point out that he's a uh, care painting, core pointing carpenter, meaning that he is coloring the world with green, the core color of the rainbow, pointing at his heart, which is cardio. This cardio, he's pointing at the core, that center. I was just talking to Dylan about that yesterday. Cardio, the heart. <laughs> it's the hand of God inside of you, the heart is. Right. And they're about to push wow. a new they're about to push a new linguistic agenda on the masses with green cars. Oh, also green, too car, green green cars. Cars. Yeah, in, green uh, in Latin cardia means a hinge and it's where the cardinal comes from in the episcopacy of the church. The cardinals are the hinge is on the door. Right. <laughs> and they are connected to they're no different than the druidic tradition, druid meaning door. So nice. Another th way you can consider the uh, the heart, cardio, very close to cardia, which is like the hinge of God as well. Nice, nice. And I just have to say the axis moony, the world axis, has a lot of hinge symbolism built into it because it's what everything revolves around. And and the 
uh, Hebrew shape of the head looks like a freaking Stonehenge. It looks like the pie symbol. It Very does. Nice. It does. Exactly oh. right. For and sure. to get back to the, <laughs> to take it back to the, the rockness of it all, <laughs> the word Faber is, means carpenter. <laughs> and it, okay, so Faber in Latin means carpenter. Uh, the V and the F easily switch. The D and the B easily switch. Faber is like Vader. <laughs> Vader also is like Potter. Potter means rock and it means father. So Vader, father, Potter, Vader. Uh, I even saw a screenshot from, I was like looking into Darth Vader stuff and there was this scene where he like becomes Darth Vader and he's getting the suit put on him for the first time. And they show an overhead shot. And it's like everything in the room's black, but he's on this table and surrounding the table are six white rays of lit up floor around him in a perfect circle, like showing that <laughs> Darth Vader means dark father. <laughs> yeah. Even because even his fall even cube. comes from him being a father in the story. So even Star Wars is full of the astro theology. And that that uh, six around the one is the cube as well. Um, because yep. you'll, you'll say later. I should, I should find the <laughs> screenshot of that. Yeah, no, absolutely, dude. Yeah, and to do with Carpenter and things like that, there you'll see later that we'll, we'll look at um, the Winter Triangle, but the, the star Procyon has a lot to do with um, that world axis, um, Carpenter and those sort of things as well. Um, which is, uh, I think it's part of Gemini, if I'm not mistaken. Like, how on the nose is that? <laughs> wow. Wow, that is so on point. Yeah, absolutely. Very And, you know, that movie is Revenge of the Sith. Who is Sith? Is it Sith or Seth? Are we talking about Seth? Are we talking about Set? Is it Revenge of Set? What is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Revenge he's of the cut, Nighttime. Yeah. He's cut into pieces. You know, and then he comes back yeah. wearing all black, back in black. Sounds very Osirian. Yeah, very much so. I'll take us to the next slide. I've gotten us on a lot of tangents here. This is just fun. Oh, man. What is so great about this presentation is it gives us a lot of cues. Like when we see the information you provided, it gives us the ability to go. To, to call up all the things that each of us individually know that are linked to those concepts. Whereas if we just sat down and talked about it, we wouldn't necessarily recall so many details, but you're like really prompting us beautifully here, man. This is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So this is basically um, showing the similarities between Equus, the horse and Jesus. Um, and you can see they break down. That's um, got the four, five, six, 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 and there's, then Jesus has the four, five, six, six, six. <laughs> so they're exactly the same um, gematria value. And that's what sort of led me on to find out more about um, why the horse, you know, and then from, from that, the cube, and then the whole thing just filtered into this giant little slideshow here. <laughs> wow. Uh, so one, one thing I got to point out, is uh 40 it's either 45 or 54 in the most simple of uh gematria when you add up the word love 
And I've heard other Gamatria experts point out this love code of five and four. Uh, so in a very uh, interesting way, we have love for the 666. And that is, I mean, if you want to put your, you know, Judeo-Christian, Catholic Christian lens on, you know, Christ came to redeem the evil. He didn't need to save the righteous ones. He came here to save those who are evil. So love for the 666 is a real righteous way to interpret that. I, I really dig this fact. Yeah, and it's not like we're going to go around identifying with 666 and like put it on our t-shirt and scaring normies or anything, but I do think that part of the game with the Catholic Church takeover was to make certain symbolism evil and scary to keep people away from knowledge that would actually be helpful to them. 666 right. being one of them. Right. And there's that well, parable, there's the parable about pay your taxes, render unto Caesar you know, love your taxes, love authority, yada, 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 could be part of the program. Well, also, I can't, I can't leave this alone. I've brought it up before, but love is Yov. <laughs> if you look at the word love, you spell it in all lowercase, the lowercase L looks exactly like an uppercase I. And I-O-V-E is Yov. And it's also philologically one of the earlier, like, okay, so yad hey vav hey. One of the ways you could write that would be uh, I-E-V-E, Yeve. So <laughs> yad he vave is Eve and L, Eve plus L. It's the God and the goddess. So love is Yov is Eve L. It is what it is. It's, it's, in, it's in the language. Nice. Let's just point out six 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 as we go into it later um, is is a perfect fifth in music, so uh, it's the ratio of a perfect fifth, um, and then the triple eight is a whole tone. So um, this one here is part of the the winter triangle, and I've got another slide to show the winter triangle itself, how it breaks down. But here we go again with another 27 and then the, the breaking down of the Gematria um, shows that Monocirus, Mercury, Jesus are all the same character once again. So it's a horse symbolism or a unicorn in this case. But um, one of the main facts about this one is it is in the center of what's known as the Winter Triangle Astrium. Um, asterism, sorry. And that's um, where you have Sirius, uh, Procyon, and Betelgeuse. So, um, yeah, the, I'm sure you guys will have some input on the horn um, and the cornucopia and those sort of symbology there. Again, you're getting the Kronos. Um, or the yeah, the unicorn is the yoni corn, and the corn is the seed. So when you put the seed in the yoni, you get life. Eve, by the way, means life in Hebrew. So when I say Eve El, <laughs> Yad He Vav He is Eve El, that is also saying it's the life of El. Hmm. Interesting. Like if you put the seed or the eye within this triangle, which would be the horn, then you get the eye of providence in the sky. 
Yeah, exactly. And just like what I was saying earlier about the Royal Arch or Freemasonry, the Eye of Providence above the arch, just above the keystone, which is symbolic of cancer. And a video I made recently was linking uh, the unicorn to cancerian symbolism and that the horn itself is the axis mundi. It's the world axis, essentially. And the spiraling of the horn, in my opinion, is like the rotation of the heavens around the pole star is what I think. And so when I see Monoceros, the unicorn, Mercury, Mercury is very much a polar deity, the way I tend to look at things. And Jesus as well, I consider to be I, I'm seeing more polar symbolism now with with Jesus than I used to. And so I think he's more than just the sun, but he was nailed to the cross. It's the crossroads, you know, Mercury and Hermes and stuff. A lot of times they're related to the crossroads, which to me, in my opinion, the crossroads symbolism really just has to do with um, being able to travel and journey between realms, you know. And so that's kind of just like what I'm thinking of uh, right now at the moment. Well, you do have sun symbolism associated with all this and you do have lunar symbolism associated with all this. It's not one or the other. Um, that is true, yeah. It's sort of like... Uh, um, we're talking it, about we, you have the sun, the moon, and the pole star. We're ta- Just like in all these versions of the stories, you have God, goddess, and divine child. The Trinity is like when you go back to the more ancient versions of the Trinity, it's all the same being and these just got multiple heads. Yeah, you know, exactly. With multiple yeah, it's, it's two hands. It's like, here's your sun hand, there's your moon hand, and then it's you, in a sense. You know, you're the star or that central pillar as well. Where but like the, the 20- sun and the moon being the eye, the two different eyes of Horus, the right eye and the left eye. Yeah, exactly. And it's within the dome, in a sense, in, in our head. <laughs> um, but the, the 27 you'll see is, is sort of like, um, 27 days is related to uh, a moon cycle um, in relation to the stars. And then you, from that base 27 days, you can actually calculate a heap of synodic times and they all fit together. Um, so it is the 27 is extremely important in regards to uh, how you can calculate the, um, the luminaries. So do you guys think that with pretty much any myth we can look at, there's going to be a Holy Trinity sort of setup? It seems like well, there, it. There should be. Yep. Um, That's kind of what I, I guess. Yeah, I, I can see it too. Because I mean, I flipped and flopped so many times with certain gods and myths and stuff like that about what they mean. But yeah. I think what you guys are saying is definitely like on point. So I bet you if you look uh, hard enough, you're going to find it probably. Yeah. So, so that Manaceris is right on the shoulder of Orion, right? Because that because it's it's got Betelgeuse it is it's one of its vectors there. Yep. Which uh, so the cup bearer is the poison checker of the king, and uh, is one of the jobs. One of the jobs. That's the vice, the vice president. The vice president is the, is the, uh, the president's bitch. Uh, but, uh, so it's very interesting that the horn of Monoceros is right next to, within reach of Orion, that, uh, grand, you know, anthropomorphic man in the sky. Uh, very interesting. It's much, very much like his, uh, in, uh, her, yeah. So I just pointed that out that uh, the 
the horn of that of that animal is much like the cup that the king can reach out and grab whenever he cares to. Yeah, um, Orion is the mighty hunter, just like Nimrod was the mighty hunter, or Hercules is mighty. <laughs> is the sun mighty? <laughs> oh, and so part of the fun about this is that the the multiple multiple levels of meaning in mythology are such that obviously the sun doesn't even travel through constellations that are up there that aren't a part of the ecliptic, but those constellations are named after characters that have mythological significance relating to the sun's path through the ecliptic. So hopefully that helps people understand a little better when, you know, when we're syncretizing, we're not, we say, this is this. If we didn't say all the other things that you happen to also know that it is, <laughs> doesn't mean that it isn't that too. It's a lot of yes and. Yeah. Yes and. Exactly. 100%. Um, so this is to do with the winter triangle and breaking it down uh, in geometria. Um, you'll get the, the total is a 101, which is sort of like your 11, but it's, it's a pretty interesting number just on its own. Um, and in a sense, that um, can represent uh, like the two pillars, in a sense, with the with the sun in between. Um, and then you break down further with the um, consonants and vowels, and you'll get a, a nineteen and a nineteen. And if you nineteen times nineteen is um, three hundred and sixty-one, and it's a special number as well because it's a full circle with a singular point. Again, this um, the winter triangle stars um, are pointing to the same thing um, as that point in the center, or that that uh, the monad, which is that um, where the horn would be of the monoceros. So the the stars are actually reaffirming the um, symbolism of the unicorn itself, in a sense. Wow, that's freaking great. 19 times 19 gives you the circumpunct. God, that's great. It's yeah. almost like, you know, 19 being the sun card, the two suns. You have the sun that you see and the sun that you don't see. Yeah. There's that mythology. You have the sun and its two primary characteristics in, you know, when it's giving life or when it is dying those are the two things or the sun when it's visible at day and gone at the night you know there's a lot of two suns so the two 19s giving you the full 361 that's pretty cool nice dude i love it chance i feel like the guy on your shirt right now (laughs) yeah this is just a gravy fest right here Okay, so this is we're sort of going back to the Omphalos because we just sort of covered some of the uh, bit more of the horse symbolism, um, but we're about to go into the actual gematria side of things. So I wanted to sort of cover the the cosmic net in a sense. Um, and again, this is from this book here, the um, Jesus Christ, Son of God. Um, really good. And it, and it breaks down a lot of Greek geometria and how they use the, the personifications to create the geometria. Um, do you want me to read this or? Yep. Uh, let me get it up online so it's a bit bigger. 
In Greek mythology, the so-called robe or veil woven by Harmonia was in reference to the geometrical design type. It is a fishnet for the entire pattern is governed by the cube root of three, which in the realm of geometry springs from the vesica Pisces, the vessel of the fish. To the early Christian Gnostics, the net was an important cosmological symbol. But this natural symbolism predates Christianity and represents the woven web of nature or the vilifying power of harmony. Did we already cover this? I think I did. We, I, I might have doubled. Might have doubled up. Did I? Oh no! Let's keep going. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This was like in an early slide. Some about this, but we're just continuing. Um. You know, we're coming back to this idea, so let's just finish it out. Okay. Um, the Orphics uh, possessed books entitled The Net, The Veil, and The Omphalus Stone in the Temple of Apollo and Delphi was covered with a netting pattern. In the language of the ancient mysticism, to unra- unravel the veil is to dec- discover the weaver. Um, so, yep. <laughs> So what do you think the main symbolism of that, like to expand on this, what are you getting at with the fish net? Um, let's skip to the next slide and we'll, we'll show you exactly oh, what I'm talking us. about. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Here's the fish net. So it, it's basically the flower of life in a, in a sense, um, or it's three rows of circles and how they inter, interwine and wow. you create creates a netting. Um, and from that, then you get the cube ge- geometry that comes out of this. <clears throat> and in particular, it's this size for a specific reason. It sort of finishes itself um, just by the numbers. So if you just do the rows starting from the internal here with the red, uh, you'll get this uh, six points. The next one is 12 points and the next one is 18 points around the perimeter, the blue. And when you add those together, you get 36 points up total. Um, so that's telling you that it's a completion because it's uh, 360 degrees in a sense or 36. Um, and then you have the singular point in the center, which will take it to 37. Now 37 will become a, a pretty prominent number. Later on, it has some special features in regards to how it acts with um, the the devices of three. Um, again, we can think of this um, 360 and the one singular point in the center as being the monad um, that we showed before um, or the 19 times 19. <laughs> so... Yeah, there's 18, there's 12, and there's 6, and, and they can be broken down into a 9, a 3, and a 6, and um, which is your 369 coding as well. This is awesome. It really makes me, th- like, I won't go into it, but to me this demonstrates that the Solfeggio number sequence might be a numerical arithmetic representation of this exact net of this flower of life which is really cool to think about. And then a comment here I found interesting because I was just thinking about tesseracts and fourth dimensionality (laughs) when I was walking before I came on the show. 
D says there's a net in the Tesseract and the Dolly Cross is a net of the Tesseract. So Tesseract is a fourth dimensional cube. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, this will is similar to the Tesseract in that it's got a cube within a cube. Um, and it's got the space between it, which actually sort of moves. So yes, there is a correlation, although I don't really like the, um, the dimensionalities that they try and shift onto it um, for some reason. It's just, it's probably just me, but. So I know that there's uh, some people who have a cubic understanding of ether, which this reminds me of. And so when I see this net, I'm like, is this the net that is all pervasive everywhere? That is the net that holds reality together. Is it ether? Is it the force? Is it spirit? Yep. Right. That's exactly That's what, what they're sort of getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Next slide. Next we level. Can, we can go through this a little bit quicker now. Um, All right. You just keep, keep pushing the river. Okay. So the, yeah, the 18 um, perimeter points plus the one, which would be the center, it gives you your 19. So that's a one to nine sort of special number there. The 36 total points plus the, the center point is the 37. So this is again just showing that there is a monad um that same sort of imagery that was in the stars is now reflected in this uh layout. Um it can be done on a smaller scent like like you showed with um Darth Vader having the six around the one. You can see that's the center one in there. But there's a specific reason why you do it three times, why there's um this cube goes well, this net goes as far as it does. So, um, so I, I, I just got to point out when I see 37, uh, it hits a huge uh, point for me uh, because of uh, 37 degrees north is the May 6 in line. And it continues around, well, around the plane or, or the pancake. <laughs> it goes right through uh, the Strait of Gibraltar. Also, so it is a super powerful geomantic uh, meridian. Um, it's also where all of your Afghani ganja strains come from. They had to source all of the seeds from Afghanistan from the uh, just the right uh, latitude, so that the so that the light spectrum was identical when they brought it to Kentucky to grow the weed out in the sticks in Kentucky. So 37 is a big, a big number for me. Uh, next slide shows you why it's uh, so special as well. It's because when you times it by the um, multiples of three, you get your triple digit digits and it's, this is sort of hailing to the, the Trinity encoding in, within it. So three times 37 will give you triple one. Um, six times 37, triple two, and so on and so forth. I freaking love this. That nice. is some gnarly math magic right there. Yeah, that's yeah, really man. cool. Especially, that, so especially that when you get to 27, which is our Mercury Jesus psychopomp, right. 37 times 27 gives you the 999. <laughs> Completion, yep. That yeah. is so powerful. Holy smokes. 
And of course, <laughs> also don't forget that nine plus nine plus nine is 27. Yep. Yep. Actually, when you look at this, now that I'm looking at it, all of the numbers, all the triple digits, one, 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 two, 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 three, 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 they add up to whatever the 37 is being multiplied by. So 37 times 21, oh, well. well, 21 is three sevens, you know, right. seven times 15 nice. is five, 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 a five, 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 five plus five plus five is 15. This right. is fucking crazy cool. And it, wow. all the root numbers do a three, six, nine, three, six, nine, three, six, nine. When you reduce all of them. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Freaking glorious. Yeah. This is off the chart. Hey, what's up? Emily Moyer in the house. Cool. What up, Emily? We're going real deep tonight. <laughs> this is some cool shit though, Lucas. I've, I have to admit that this is crazy cool. Uh, th- never had this appreciation for 37 before. Okay, so um, we got the same gematria now, and I've just basically drawn in the cube for you, and it's basically a Rubik's cube. Um, and you'll have one in the center that you can't see; that's a hidden one, and then we'll have the the rest of them that you can see the faces. So you have twenty seven total cubes. So it's um, 26 and then the one around it, which is sort of hinting at our alphabet, um, which we'll get into in a bit. But um, 27 times eight, the eight corners of each cube is your 216 or the 666. (laughs) So that's how that sort of applies to that picture. Freaking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, man. Consistency is the hallmark of truth. Absolutely. So again, going back to that gematria um, of the 27 of Mercury, of Terminus, of Equus, uh, all that results in the main number is 27. And then then we look at our alphabet, which is 26 letters. But if you join the, the, the A and the Z and do that the whole way across, you actually get 27. So there's a hidden 27 within our alphabet of 26 letters nice uh, you know i i often speculate that the 20 the hidden 27th is the ant and for sand sign yeah and and the his, yeah nice nice and the ampersand sign is like an amphora it is uh you can look into the history of it they say that it is uh it is an abbreviation of the phrase and per se and uh, but I do. I think of that as the amphora for sure. That's freaking glorious. <laughs> it's the yes and. <laughs> Be nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that's why you can syncretize everything back to Mercury, Hermes, Jesus, Thoth, because that is what syncretism is. It's the ampersand is this and this and this and this. And by linking together like that, it's also carrying your thoughts and the flow like the river or the ocean. Wow. Right. Yeah. Excellent stuff, dude. This is really, really cool. There's a comment here. that looks really interesting. Uh, 1937, 46, the only anomaly in pi. They all appear at the decimal digit in the string of pi of one or the other. It is the natural cycle rebirth code of pi, which ties to 42 reincarnation. Hmm. I might need a little more explanation on that, but interesting. Yeah. Cool. I have to look at it. 
All right. Another thing to point out with the 27 is that 72, uh, you know, the number of the pentagram, uh, and that is a big to do numerologically, but this is so fun. Um, this will be real quick with this one as well, but it's, it's basically where you find the 20 and the seven in that number line of our alphabet. And then you put it with the seven septenary cipher and you'll get the G and the T. So the seven and the seven, um, the one, one will be, you know, the pie in the center, but, um, yeah, just another little decode I did that I thought I'd add in to that, um, to show the, the septenary cipher and how it sort of fits into that. Uh, G and T <laughs> gin and tonic is yeah. it, is it the gut? What is it? It's the gate to knowing all things. It's the gate. I think that's the answer. So when I was looking at the cube, what I did was I um had when when you draw it, you can actually get three cubes out of it. So you have this center heart one and then the mid one and then the outer perimeter one. And when you unfold a cube, well, you get a cross. Um, and so you have the triple cross within here. Um, and I have re- related that to this sort of chart um, a, a fair while ago. And I, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's got the mercury in the center as Jesus was crucified in the center on the cross, right? And then you have um, the two thieves on each side, which would be in this chart would be salt and mercury. Um, so there's this sort of correlation between the triple cross, um, the four elements and the, the, the alchemical side of things. And this chart actually um, is a schematic for a battery as well. So. Yeah, the, the two thieves are also the left eye and the right eye, which sort of lie to you or steal your your gnosis from you in a sense. If you are not seeing through the third eye, then there's this filtering system in your brain that decides how much of reality you're actually going to paint a picture of in your mind's eye because your eyes don't actually show you the reality so much as they take in information and then it's routed. Actually they paint the picture. They're they're like projectors. A better way of putting it is your, your third eye, which is the mercury in this equation, the pineal is what sees and perceives everything and not just sees, but, and there's that word see again, (laughs) not just sees, but all the different sense modalities that human beings possess are actually one monad Sense, sensing the ether, the actual perturbations of the true flow of reality. And then the rest of your bodily senses are like projections that approximate the information of the one source that the third eye perceives, but give it to you in sort of a filtered metaphorical abstraction in a way that it thinks that you can, that your amygdala thinks you can handle. (laughs) And to me, that makes a lot of sense to look at it that way, because just on like a technician level, you wouldn't be, it it makes no sense that different parts of your bodily senses would somehow pick up certain wavelengths of the reality spectrum, like touch and taste and smell and vision and perfectly route them 
into your mind and into your perception in a synchronized way. <laughs> like we're talking about electrical impulses through the body that are traveling different lengths and different speeds and your body's growing and changing all the time. It just doesn't seem plausible. It seems more plausible that there's one sense and then our experience of senses is a division of the one rather than the many coming together to make the one. The many are a der or multiply multiplication of the one. Is that making mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The um the other thing that I've found when looking at some of this stuff is that um there you have the right and left hemisphere type ideas where you'll have one that's based on intellect, one that's based on intuition, and you could say that one's masculine, one's feminine, um, in a sense. Um, and this is basically um that Mercury is the communication between the intuition and that uh intellectual side of things. Um and, and the feminine side of thing has has been sort of mainly moved towards the intuition side of things where the masculine is very more much more intellectual in a sense of um spatial stuff. And in a lot of the mythologies that I've come across, or you know, a few in especially in Egypt, it is the the feminine side that gives knowledge to uh the masculine side to the, the who then writes it down. So Sheset in mythology will give information to Thoth and then Thoth will write it down. Um, so it's like the intuition gives um, power to the intellect to then decodes it in a sense. So I, I found that very interesting. And in relation to our world, you would say, and I've said that the, the moon and the sun are, when the moon is masculine, the sun is feminine, is that the, that same sort of, intuition and intellect are working together in a sense. So nice, nice. Just some of my personal ideas, you know, no, no, no. I hear you loud and clear. That's awesome. Uh, Just because we had the mercurial, the mercury symbol up, I just wanted to point something out and we're talking about masculine and feminine and everything else, you know, Uh, it's really common for people to say that men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. That's like the old adage. Right. And so I said it earlier today on another show, But it's really interesting that you have the symbol for Venus, which is a circle and a cross, and then you add horns, and then now you have the symbol for Mercury. And I've read that Mercury is the true consort or partner of Venus. So I think it might actually be more accurate to say, at least this is kind of what's coming to me right now, that men aren't from Mars symbolically. They're actually from Mercury, that that's the deal. And some of what you just said kind of uh, speaks to that a little bit, I feel like. That's really interesting. And, And too, with Mercury ruling the Gemini, Maybe Venus is like the other twin, Hermes' Very, twin. Oh, and Very, also just saying, uh, Taurus is ruled by uh, Venus, and then it follows or it precedes Gemini, which is ruled by Mercury. So they're like right there. There's like a pairing going on, right? And and they they get together more frequently uh, because of their they're in the in, inner orbital rings. They have uh, shorter orbits. So they get together all the time. <laughs> you, oh, nice, you, dude. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't split those two up. It's just like the lover's card, you know, for sure. 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 Yeah. And, Look, you know, looking at the next slide, we're about to play Tetris. Well, one more thing while we're on the sulfur, mercury and uh, salt. Uh, I've brought this up before on the spiders, but not everybody stays up all night with us. So 
maybe I'll just show it here. This is a graphic I made a while back. Let's see. There we go. That is uh, salt, mercury, and sulfur, the symbols of them. And you might notice that it looks very much like a G, O, and D, God. And that Holy Trinity, uh, we've riffed on this before, but I do believe that this is the reason why it's part of the program that we live in is so obsessed with three-letter agencies. You know, FBI, CIA, USA, WHO, all these three-letter agencies. It is very sulfur, salt, well, sulfur, mercury, and salt-oriented. Um, but it also, I think, has a lot to do with uh, subject, verb, and object. You know, the, the Holy Trinity is like integral to so many aspects, uh, even of the building blocks of our language. So that's another, just something to riff on with that Holy Trinity to think about. Past, present, and future. That's the main one I think of, nice. especially even when you... Um even when you're thinking in terms of that uh, intuition and creativity and that sort of stuff and intellectual, you sort of one's um, basing it's the intuition of the future sort of thing. It's like a future idea coming in and the other one's like the um, intellect is based off a past idea or foundation of what's past results. Um, So, yeah, and then you bring them together, which is – you know, joining those two, the past and the pu- the future together, and you're in the moment in a sense. And a lot of that samsara, that sort of stuff that we talked about at the start, that meditation, uh, removing the ego or whatever, is is about being in the present moment and acting from that central point. So, yeah. Hey, Marty leads in the chat. We've been linking people to your Gematria calculator on your website. (laughs) What's up, Marty? Yeah, a lot of this work is definitely inspired and aided by the great work Marty does over at the Gnostic Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. GnosticAcademy.org. I never miss a Sunday. All right, here we go. Cube Nets. Okay, so um, when I was looking at the cube and and doing the when it unfolds and, and gives you the cross or the T, um, I found that there was 11 total shapes that you could make of um, these nets. They're called cube nets where the cube unfolds. And when you reflect these, um, so 11 is an important number, but when you reflect these, um, not all of them will reflect the same way. Um, so, for example, I've I done an example over here where the T, um, will reflect only one way. Basically, it'll re- reflect on a horizontal mirror, but it won't reflect on a vertical mirror. So when you actually take out the ones that won't reflect and are both exactly the same, what you actually get is um, 32 full nets. So this 32 number is um, is coming up. You'll see it come up more often than not, but um, it has high occult significance as well. Um, in relation to uh, a lot of different things. Wow. Wow. This is very, very interesting, dude. Yeah. I'm going to let you keep going. Okay. Um, (laughs) So when you unfold that 
that cube with the 27 cubes and then you start to uh, work out what the perimeter would be of the of the cross, um, you will get three times the 14. So that's it's an pi encode and it will give you the 42. Um, if you look at the height and the width of the of that cross, it is a 12 times a 9. So that would be the rectangular area um, of the cross. Then it is a 108. Now, 108 is um, significant because it's 427s, but it also relates to the synodic time of um, the moon, which is 1.08 times 27 will give you the, the synodic time of the moon. Um, I'll also add that the 108, one of the holy 108 meanings is whenever you go through the Fibonacci sequence and you reduce each number down to a single digit of the sequence, there's a repeating pattern where every 24 digits add to the same number. The first 24 digits of the Fibonacci sequence add to 108. And then every 24 after that always add to 117 forever into infinity. I learned that from Marty. Thanks, Marty. <laughs> yeah, I learned a heap from Marty too. So yeah, go and suss out his stuff. Um, it's brilliant. Right. So when you look at the height of the cross and the width of the cross, um, it is a 17. Um, but one, when you add the values from one to 17, so one plus two plus three, you'll get that 153 number. Um, that you were talking about earlier, but it's, um, this is a ratio of the vesica. So out of the cross, you would get the ratio of the vesica. Um, so I found that really significant as well. So totally. And that's uh, just, just for, for anybody who's late, that's the ARK in septenary 153 is the ARK, ARK. Fucking great stuff, man. This is brilliant, man. No, thanks. It, it sort of <laughs> explains itself once you sort of have that that cube and just look at it. So I invite people just to, to look at the geometry, that net, and then start figuring out things on their own. It's, um, it's, it's good fun. So is this what the book Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy meant when the answer to life, the universe, and everything was 42? <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> or was that just like a weird synchromistic thing? Who knows? Maybe that guy really knew something though. He who was he was selling us a outer space story, so that's a little off, but <laughs> Oh you my know, gosh, we're getting so many sex chat spam bots. Oh snap. And that, and that only happens when it's like very heavy gravy. Yeah, they're targeting us. Uh real quick to riff on the 12 by 9 dimensions of that cross it makes me think of the fact that we uh the fasty calendar uh went from uh nine segments of the circle and was altered uh by the romans to become a 12 segment calendar just a thought oh, don't worry we'll get into calendar stuff it's coming well we might not depend on the time but um so we're just counting. Let me the- just throw something out there about Fausti that I've, that's been on my mind. It won't be too long. Okay, so uh, the Romulus and Remus, the twins, founders of Rome, uh, were adopted by a farmer, a pastor actually, or sorry, a shepherd <laughs> named Faustulus, which is probably where we get the word foster. But also Pan 
is the foster uh, father of Hermes. So that's the thing too. Or maybe wow. it's the other way around. Wow. And, on that. and Pan was the God that gave sanctuary to all the gods when they were on the run from Typhon. And he put them all in animal masks and hid them in Egypt in the, in the agricultural, in the agricultural cultures, the fasty calendar was preserved. Let me uh, fix what I said too. Uh, Pan is the foster father of Bacchus, but Bacchus is Jesus is the son. And that's, okay. that is completely demonstrable, especially through understanding Greek. Uh, and <laughs> pastor, <laughs> a shepherd is another word for a shepherd is a pastor and pastor is basically the same as potter. So right. the, uh, the potter of pan, uh-huh. <laughs> pan, pan, potter, potter, pan, Peter pan. That's the all father. Nice. And one, one, just one last quick real little riff going from, a f- so the four segment, uh, four season, Calendar is, you know, you make a circle and you put your cross and that gives you four corners of the circle and you overlay a uh, yod shape, a Y shape onto that cross and that's your fasty calendar. So when you take a four season cross and you overlap a three season cross onto it, you literally get Jesus on the cross. He's got his two arms up and his feet are together. He is the odd. He's the old calendar. In the new calendar, the four season cross, that is the crucifix that he is hung upon. So I believe that the crucifixion image, the icon, is depicting a changeover from the fasty into the new four season calendar. That's brilliant. Eh? That's interesting. I think you're yeah. onto something with that. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I could go. I could go into some directions, but let's just press forward here. Okay, so this is uh, looking at the perimeter um, and just counting up the points uh, for that twenty-seven cube, and you'll get for the two dimensions. If you just count this central point as one, you'll get thirty-one points. But then, if you actually have it as a cube, you'll have the the point that's closest to you and the point that's furthest away, right? And that'll give you your 32 points. Well, within this cube itself, there's, you always got to take into account that there's a hidden central point that it actually acts goes from. Uh, this would be the six, uh, the six around that seventh point, that center point, which is, would be, you know, we could classify it as the omphalos in a sense as well to draw it back to there. But this actually creates, um, the 33. So this cube is showing that the, the 33 is part of that. Yeah. Which I thought was just fascinating. I freaking love this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to come back and screen cap everything. <laughs> this I'll is send so... you the slides. Oh, yeah. That's even or better. Lucas, if you're cool with it, I, I would be happy to provide the slides to the Telegram channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Sure. Yeah, because nice. this is like, I mean, this is as valuable as a book on the subject, and especially as a reference material, because it's just like quick reminders of different parts of the con- concepts. This is brilliant. One thing, just real quick, uh, you've mentioned the Kaba cube, and then you mentioned the cross being a cube. 
right? When it folds out. But uh, I don't know if you've mentioned uh, the Star of David, the other Abrahamic, major Abrahamic religion, right? Uh, but when you're looking at that cube, if you're looking at the um, hexagon, you know, if you just draw lines from corner to corner, it basically makes the uh, the Star of David, essentially. So the Star of David is a cube. And then I also think it's interesting that the dreidel is essentially a dice, you know, except it has a point at the bottom. And then you have that, you know, the part that you spin or whatever, which is actually uh, symbolic of the world axis. And I was shocked that I saw a rabbi literally say that in his breakdown of the dreidel. Um, so anyway, so all of the Abrahamic religions, you know, there's cube symbolism there, which is fascinating. Yep. hundred percent. Uh, this is, we can just do this real quick, but there's 33 vertebrae in the spine. Um, but you, if you break down the articulating vertebra, um, and it will have the, it will give you 11 times 11 within it as well. So the 121, that's a pretty significant number that keeps reoccurring. Um, it lines up with a different sort of, um, net in a sense, but, um, it's still very interesting to see it placed within um, the the spine itself. So, yeah, that's just a quick one. And, of course, this relates to Mercury with the caduceus, the spine, all that symbolism that goes along with um, uh, the rod. <laughs> it makes me that's think right, of yeah. how, how often we say one-to-one correspondence. <laughs> one two one another yeah, thing yeah. that's interesting is the that it just kind of popped into my head because i've been <laughs> i've been doing a lot of looking at the greek alphabet lately so kind of like able to recognize it by sight pretty well and recall it now which is new for me and the g the the greek version of g is gamma and one of the glyphs for it looks a lot like our y <laughs> so that's a maybe a yod connection just com- came to mind. Yeah, yeah. That, I've actually I've been thinking about how you know <laughs> the Masons got a big stiffy for the G, uh, but it could be covertly a Greek uh, uh, hailing to the Trinity to that yod. Am I mistaken? Is the uh, the yod looks like a little squiggle, and then the one that looks like a Y is Ayin Ayin. A-Y-I-N? Yeah, the Yod in Hebrew just looks like a little, it look, almost looks like an apostrophe or something. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And it's the A that looks like the Y. I think which that mean, you which, are which means correct. I. I have yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> both alphabets on hand nice. right now. <laughs> yep. And I think the A yeah, is I-N a... I-N looks kind of like a Y. It's almost more like a V with a, a Q point coming out on the side. It's not super Y-like. Honestly, when I look at the Hebrew alphabet, I I struggle with it. I I mean, I don't like it. (laughs) I think it looks, it just doesn't have the elegance and beauty of the Greek alphabet, in my opinion, but I'll leave it at that. I've said meaner things about it in private. (laughs) Oh, and so it's the 16th letter, which reduces to a seven. It relates to the tower, the iron. Yeah. It also in Greek, Okay, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. The eye in the sky. All right. Eye in the sky. What are yeah, we so looking at here? 
Um, this is if you create an equilateral triangle within a circle and you start at 33 degrees um, and then you go another 120 degrees, you'll get to that 153 number. Now, these are all palindromes as well, these numbers, which means that in, they can be, um, it's depending on the base it is, it's binary, binary base, but um, basically that means that they can be done forwards and backwards. Um, so they're unusual in that sense as well. But the 33, the 153 and the 273, so this, this creates a triangle within the circle, but the, the 153, as we spoke of before, is related to the vesica. So again, saying, showing this correlation between the 33 and the 153. Um, and yeah, so that was just. And those are primes too, right? Those palindrome numbers are also primes. I think. Yeah, you could be right. Nice. Did we get in the significance of twenty two seven three yet in this conversation? No. We'll just go for I don't it. Know. There's a little we'll just go for more it. material. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just showing that there's three circles within that. Um and oh, man, this makes the- me think of like the equator in the tropics here. Yeah. And get into that. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to the next one, it, it creates the um, the bullseye, which uh, I'm sure Mario could ha- have a few words on that. Yeah, sure. You know, as you've been presenting stuff, I've been thinking about the Taurus field as well and what the uh, potential overlap and relationship is. Um, for sure. I mean, speaking of the eye, Ayin, you know, that's actually one of the stars of the Taurus constellation. So one is uh, Aldebaran or Aldebaran, right? Huge royal star, super massive, you know, red. And then the other star is Ayin, uh, which again in Hebrew means eye. And my understanding is that it correlates with the devil card. And so uh, it's interesting that the, the eye and the devil kind of have this correspondence with each other. Uh, but yes, very interesting. The symbol for target, right? Targets, Taurus. Yep, target. Yep. Uh, we call it Target in our dialect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is going back to um, looking at those circles, especially with the equator, and you get the 666, which is uh, 6 cubed, and the 216, and there are uh, 21,600 is a minute division into a circle. Um, so 360 times 60. And this relates to the nautical mile. Uh, it also relates to the 27 divisions of the sky. Um, so the 20, 21,600 nautical miles of the Earth's equatorial circumference. So that's where that sort of plays in. And this is sort of a, a lot older slide that I did, but I'd insert it because um, it sort of starts to match the cubic stuff as well. And uh, if you go to the next one, you'll sh- I'll show you how these that net actually applies to mapping the earth or the sky. Um, and it's this central ring here would be 108, and then it will go to the 216, and then it would be another ring, which would be um, 324. Now, this is approximately 12,000 miles across in the radius, but um, the circumference of this outer ring is actually close to what 
what we presume it would be, which would be about, I think it was 60,000 miles or something like that, or no, um, kilometers maybe. So just some interesting correlations there that we actually use that 216 to map the sky. Man, that is, it's just amazing to me. (laughs) The consistency, uh, Again, it makes me think of uh, Hephaestus, Vulcan, and how crafty you have to be in order to fucking see the consistency of all this. It's so far out. Uh, and and it's the middle ring. It's the center ring. Uh, uh, two, uh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the uh, 21,600 is the center ring, and that is the... Uh, that's the center markation of the Analima again, the eight times 27 on August 27th, which is Vulcanalia, the holiday of the craftiest of all the gods. It's so consistent. It's just blowing my mind. So I'm just thinking out loud, uh, Lucas, do you see a correlation by chance with the 12 signs of the Zodiac and that inner ring there having six petals so it would almost be like, you know, in between each pedal and then in between each pedal would be one of the signs making 12 different locations for the signs or anything like that. Has that crossed your mind? Yeah, like similar to what um, Gabe's been doing with America and things like on, just on a world scale, it's possible, but it, it's really hard to map because you've got one that moves constantly. So where are you going to set it? Unless you know that start point then you don't know when to where to set everything else but it's possible there is actually a starting point somewhere that would give us the basis to map the zodiac on that larger scale i see i just have a feeling based on everything you're showing me it's like there's i it seems like you're leaving no stone unturned but i bet you and us we're all going to start seeing this in other places too and uh its relevance i'm assuming is just going to continue to grow yeah, I hope so. I think there's a lot more work. I mean, yeah, I've just been trying to put this together as fast as I can in the last week or so. But uh, um, I've done work previously on it, but drawing it in with the the cube just brought it all together and the horse. So, um, yeah, yeah. I thought we were talking about horses. Where did the horses? Go? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's in there. It's hidden. You still got thirty more slides. So <laughs> this is actually kind of interesting. To me that at the point that I decided to look and see what slide number we were on, we were at the halfway point. That's kind of cool. Nice. Oh, here's I'm sure that a lot of them will be quick little gravy yeah. labels just, like this. The rest of them are sort of quick. Um so twenty seven again, we can see the conversion conversion into miles to rod or league to rod, uh miles to chain. Um and when you do that, you actually get some interesting numbers like 864, the 25,920, and then the 216 again from miles. Oh, yeah. To and the 864 is a double of the 324 that was in the previous slide. Yeah. And I, just to sort of riffle oh, wait, this a no, little bit. No, it's not bit. a double. I'm sorry. My math was wrong. <laughs> Whoops. 664 six, 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 would be the double. My bad. So what I think they did, especially when they were building sort of temples and, and those sort of things was, um, have this harmonic 
of say using the cube or whatever, but then changing the measurement system to create a shape. And, and when you do that, you're staying within a harmonic um, division in a sense because it relates to music and stuff. So what you're doing then is um, because all these measurement systems are interrelated in a sense, that building then has a complete harmonic to it. So you can build your building um, and it won't be out of harmony in a sense. It won't, it'll have music within the building. Does that it make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah. It puts the ding in the bell. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you're just changing changing measurement systems to get what you want, um, but still retaining that base um keystone in a sense. Now I found this one really, really fascinating. And this is where I was getting back to that central point around the the six around the seven point that midpoint well if you change the orientation of the cube just a little bit and look at the corners instead well that seven now turns into a nine um and i found that really interesting as uh, these two um uh have really really special qualities the seven and the nine as it sort of um the nine drops away as you said but the seven also has this quality of um infinity to it so they're both sort of speaking as if they were the exact same thing, but we're just looking at it at a different angle. That is interesting too. Well, (laughs) we'll all be thinking about that for a while. So we're looking at just to reiterate seven faces of the cube around a hidden middle point and eight vertices, vertices or corners around uh six around one or eight around one but they're the same shape depending on if you're looking at corners or faces yeah exactly wow and so this goes into this is how you get from the 12 to the eight um now the two sort of different geometries that you have to create to create a, a, um, the this the geometry to create the twelve divisions and then the the geometry to create the eight divisions they're slightly different starting points, but you can see that this um, the cube also creates the eight as well, um, and this relates to. Um, how you would map the sun and the moon it relates to a bunch of different mapping. As soon as you have the, the, you know, basically your equinoxes and your solstices and then the divisions um, of that, then there's a heap of mapping stuff that you can do. And the reason why you use eight for mapping, um, especially if you're out in the sea or whatever is because it's really easy to have two points and then divide it in, in half in your head. It's actually a lot harder to to hold two points up at a distance and then try and figure out where a third of it is, which would be your 12. Um, So divide that section into three is actually quite difficult. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that eight has a lot to do with... um, 
this is how you would map, say, the lunar movements, um, your lunar equinox, your lunar maximum standstills, um, your, your equinoxes for the sol, um, solar equinoxes and the solar solstices. So, yep. <laughs> we'll rush her a bit. You know, those could be the four horses right there, too. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, uh, definitely. Yeah, because the the four horses have four different shades. There's the white horse is your standard crystal clear shining moon. Then there's a red horse, which sometimes there's a blood moon in a, when an eclipse happens. Then there's the black horse, which would be like a when there's no moon, the new moon. And then the pale horse could be uh, maybe the lunar standstill or some other light spectrum that the moon wears under different circumstances. Just a thought. It's also interesting to me that we like this three to the four uh, is a lot like the six to the eight that we're getting into with this (laughs) and with, with this idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where, where I'm going with that is that we have, I guess I'll bring this one back up. We live in a three-dimensional world where our directionality is up, down, left, right, forward, backwards, right? Those are the sort of planes of movement that we have ac- access to as axes. But, or we uh, we also see that in a lot of other um, places like the three states of matter is the example I want to use. There's, prob- there's probably a lot of other, other examples, but... There's a fourth state of matter that is plasma and is only newly discovered. And plasma, interestingly enough, comes from a Greek word referring to molding or shaping. Sounds like a maker to me, a carpenter. (laughs) And that's because plasma has this self-organizing principle. It actually behaves like biological life in many different ways respects plasma seems to be alive and maybe is a vessel for some other dimensionality of or some like primary dimensionality of consciousness what's interesting is in the uh, in the quantum physics world they refer to this uh other side of the mirror this more original what words for it i guess like from bohm he called it the implicate order it's basically the realm of ideals from platonism But in the physics world, it's been referred to as the bulk, the bulk. (laughs) And they conjecture that like maybe matter, of course, we know that a lot of their ideas are just fruitless math, uh, algebraic abstractions that don't really hold a lot of significance to the physical world or nature. But they do talk about like maybe matter is coming from the bulk, they call it, through the white hole or through white holes, like the opposite of a black hole. And I just find that interesting because they're talking about the bulk and, you know, it sounds like the bull <laughs> and the BV switch. The So the, the BV switch means that the bulk is the Volk <laughs> and it's a plasma thing. Plasma seems to take on the energy and consciousness or life of whatever this bulk or this Volk is. And in the same way, that fourth state of matter which is the plasma, the molder, the shaper, the maker, 
is reflected in our dimensionality in the sense that the Christ is within or the light is within or the source is within. We have up, down, left, right, forward, backwards, but we also have inner and outer, which is a more uh, obscured, less obvious dimension that we exist in, but we do exist within it. I just wanted to throw that out there as a, I don't know, this is what it made me think of. Mm-hmm. Bulk brings the, it in reverse is club, which <laughs> which brings us to fire, the element of fire. It's oriented. Yeah, that's a really good point too. And of course it's the bull. The bull is in the bulk. Right. And, yeah. and if you're speaking of the club, then you're looking at the cudgel. And if you break down the gematria of the cudgel, you'll get to the three sixty four day calendar, which will point you again to the north. Uh, and yeah. the, who who carries the cudgel? A Hercules. bunch of solar deity <laughs> mythological yeah. characters like Hercules. Yeah, yeah. And Orion and Nimrod and all them folk that are the same guy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Damn, guys, it's some good weaving. <laughs> yep. So that's our compass. That's the eight. The eight gives us our compass, like you were talking about. So that's battle for that one. Um, so this is going back to old mapping. Um, and this goes back to the 32 while I was getting at in the 33 central point. But the 33 is, is again a monad, um, symbolizing that north. But, uh, the 30, the way you actually map in the old mapping sort of, um, for sea or nautical stuff was, um, using the divisions of the 33. So yeah, four, eight, 16. 32 around that central 33rd point. Nice. I really appreciate this, this anagramming from where it's not anagrams, whatever these are yes. <laughs> rearranging of the word letters in plasma. Thank you. D plasma yes. is also lamps, palms and Psalm. Damn. Oh, that's wow. Really nice. That's great. Good. Yeah. 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 The yacht and the hand and the light and the fire. Man, Absolutely. that's a good one. And the song yeah. and the music of it all. Holy shit. Yeah. Plasma is a, this is key shit. Definitely key. Uh, yeah. I'm so excited. I have a secret, <laughs> I have a secret, so, secret guest that I'm interviewing tomorrow that's going to give us a lot of plasma gravy. You guys don't even know. But nice. <laughs> I want to say something about this 32 rays around the 33rd point. Back to the idea of like things emanating from a central point. Look at this image and stare into the black and observe the optical illusion of how it looks like it's growing when you stare at it, even though, you know, it looks like it's moving out from yeah. the middle. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, just real quick regarding hands, um, lamps, plasma, etc. This is all encoded in the hermit card. The hermit card corresponds with Yod, which means hand. And the traditional hermit card is him with a lamp in his hand that he's looking at. That's his own inner light. So that's all baked into the hermit card. And then also, I just want to say, whenever the fleur de lis comes up, I have to point it out, but the fleur de lis is a northern symbol. That's why it's pointing north, you know. And some people think that this symbol comes from the lily. And there is this line of mythology of women receiving flowers, sometimes the lily. This is also baked into Virgo, which corresponds with the hermit card. And that this flower was like the catalyst for them to have like a virgin birth essentially. And so it's almost kind of like the phallus coming out of the Yoni in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, the flower, the flow, er, the Bach, us. Bach is river or flow or stream. Nice. nice. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this all for this slide? I'm just still tripping out. Yeah, yeah, optical yeah. illusion there. Next. <laughs> this is such a fun vibrant, guys. I love you guys. Okay. okay, so if you look at the three cubes um, or the three sides, um, you'll get six sides for the outer rim and then the six for the internal and six for the real internal. Um, so basically you get uh, six faces of a cube and three nested cubes, and that gives you the six of the six and the six. So the three central cubes is the rest point of the three nested cubes, making it a trinity. Uh, the rest point can be regarded as a zero or a nine. So just in regards to that that point there, if you regard it as a nine or something that's, uh, you know, not there but there in a, in a sense of the monad, well, if it's a nine, it's a four and the five, which will relate, relate back to the Jesus encode, which was four, five, which is a nine plus a six, 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 and same with Equus, which is a uh, five, four, and then a six, six, six. So um, that's where you get the six, six, six from in that sense. That's just another way to find it, basically. There's multiple ways. Now, this goes back to, this is a triple eight, and this is how you find the triple eight. And this is when you're looking at the corners of the cube and there's three nested cubes. And so there's an eight, an eight and an eight. Um, you get three eights is 24. Um, if you add the, the central point in here, the hidden one, the rest point, that gives you 27. Um, so and there's other stuff in here, but I found it really interesting look at, looking at this. If you look at it as three cubes on top of each other, there's actually three nested or hidden points within here, the eight, the nine, and the, the seven, the eight, and the nine. Um, so it's sort of telling you that there's a trinity within this as well if you're looking at it cubically. The triple eight, um, I think we can just go to the next slide. That'll be fine. Unless you want to talk about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, there's, I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could. I've got one thought on that. Um, I have. It's not exactly the same numbers, but it's uh, but it's been on my mind ever since we started talking about the three cubes inside of each other. And I'm seeing very close figures. Uh, they say that the old uh, scribes had three books on their desks. One was Hebrew translating into uh, Greek and Latin. One was Latin translating into Greek and Hebrew. And one was Greek translating into Latin and Hebrew. I hope I got all those right. But the numbers of their alphabets uh, added up. You took 22, uh, which is Hebrew. Then you add it to the number in Latin. And you add it to the number of letters in Greek. And it would add up to 72. Uh, was oh, the oh, wow. oh, dude! And seventy-two times three is two one six. Bada boom, bada boom. So we have these nested meanings. You know, they have cultural implications, and you know the 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 those cultural norms. Uh, they are they're like these Russian dolls. It's really it's beautiful to see. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I also see um, the pyramid in here, right? There's like six different pyramids kind of going around. And then I see the, uh, the capstone towards the center. And so when we think of hierarchy, we think of this pyramid thing. But here right. we're actually getting a different view where it is nested, right? Just like yeah. what you're saying. So it's like you have the exoteric. And then as you go inward, you're, you're moving towards the uh, esoteric side of things. Right. Yes. I was the power of of the thing, of the system. Yeah. I I was looking at uh, an image. I'm reading uh, some of Tracy Twyman's work and she references this image, uh, the temptation of St. Peter, I think, is uh, the image. I'm not 100%. So I look at the image and it's this scholar and he's at his table and he's contemplating and he has three books. One is large, one is medium, and one is small. And I assume that those are the three uh, dictionaries of the scribes translating into the three le- three languages, but it totally hits home like a bullseye right here with your work, Lucas. It's the three cubes that you're bringing mm-hmm. forward. It's beautiful. And there's, se- there's 72 in there as well. Um, we'll nice. get to that as well. So it'll line up. <laughs> This brings up a quick I question. I wonder if it was Matthew, because Matthew's a scribe. Mm. And yeah, could isn't be. Matthew the one that encodes Pisces? Could be wrong about that. I think he's um, Leo. No, Mark is Leo for sure, because Mark oh, is Mark, the shi- right. shining one. You're right. You're right. You're right. So Gabe brought up uh, book symbolism at, as it could potentially relate to, relate to all of this. And I'm just thinking a few times I've thought about the brick. And bricks being like these building blocks, you know, for like cities and roads. And then I think of Freemasonry and all this other stuff. So I guess I'm just thinking when you think of cube symbolism, is it too much of a stretch to include the brick and what the brick represents, you know, in all of this? Do you think that's a reach? Not at all. I think that's probably where it's come from. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, because I've done a lot of work about how brick symbolism relates to Gemini and the Gemini twins and Romulus and Remus founding Rome, building a brick wall, you know, and all this other stuff. And then when you were showing those crosses, you showed 11 crosses, you know, so I think of like the twin pillars of Gemini and Freemasonry and of Judaism and everything else. And there's lots of brick symbolism going on with all those different things that I just mentioned. So just thought I would ask and throw that out there. And they have a massive sort of um, rituals or rites for the the foundation stone or the cornerstone, don't they? Oh um, yeah, I think yeah. No, they're a doing brick, the exact a brick same is thing. philologically a block. Brick hmm. and block are the same root meaning word. So, gotcha. It makes gotcha. me think of uh, a block. Does make me think of like a a cube. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So this is, again, from this uh, book, uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, by um, David Fiddler, Fiddler, um, and he's showing the ratios of music and how it applies. Um, so it, it goes under a chapter name of the Harmony of Apollo. Uh, but it's, it's how you divide a single string. It doesn't matter the frequency of the string. It's more like you have a set string that's on a uh, monochord, I think they call it, and then you find the harmonics that are within that string itself. And so the ratios that occur um, are these, which is like 
um, a whole octave is 12 and then you have the the eight to the nine is a, a whole tone from the sixth to the uh, eighth would be a fourth and from the sixth to the ninth would be a fifth. So this, um, this is how the six, six, six and the eight, eight, eight will relate to that. Um, but again, if you're these divisions of harmony, um, when you relate them down or break them down again, you'll come to this seven, 72 number, which is encoded in the cube, but it's also the reverse is 27. So um, we'll, we'll go to the next slide just to fill this out a little bit. So the harmonic ratios of music, so the two um, two over three times a thousand will give you the six 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 point six prominent solo number string ratio for the perfect fifth. Um, where the nine o- over eight will give you the times a thousand will give you the triple eight, um, and which is Jesus in Greek. When you do the gematria for Jesus in the Greek, you'll actually get triple eight. Um, and then he's done some other ciphers, which is Olin, the founder of uh, Apollo's Oracle. So he's showing that the, the triple eights are fairly significant as um, in mythology and that as well, um, lucky eights and those sort of things. But um, this is these two ratios, well, the 666 and the triple eight uh, ratios of music. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, 88 always makes me think of the fact that you multiply it by two and you get 1776. Very significant year. Very, very significant wow. year. In, I in didn't quite, realize that. In quite a few ways. And my buddy, our buddy Davin, if he's in the chat, he would always want to point out that you get the same thing if you do 444 times four. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So it's, it's showing the same thing here. Um, just a gematria of Jesus there. And then uh, in the music, yeah, this 0.666 is the string ratio of the perfect fifth, while 0.888 is the string ratio of the whole tone. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know what it makes me think of? The perfect fifth in 666. The devil card a lot of times has an upside down pentacle in between his horns, you know. And so that upside down, uh, the pentagram, right, is very much related to the devil. And so here you're relating the 666 to the perfect fifth. So I think that's kind of intriguing. Right. And the devil card is 15, which reduces to the six. There you go. Yep. Oh, that's glorious. I want to point out the letters here, the IHS, Iota, Eta, Sigma. That's the monogram that they use for Jesus, but it was also a monogram for Bacchus. Uh, all, another way that they could do it would be more of like a, mm, I, the Bacchus one could also be like I E S, I think E being Eta or uh, Epsilon. So, the H in Greek, the the eta, they don't really say the huh aspirate, the H aspirate. It's more like a 
A sound. And so these first three letters, the IHS or the Iota Eta Sigma, the the U.S. of Jesus is really kind of like a Latin termination. And so my point of all this is the the IHS is yes, <laughs> phonetically. It's like saying yes. And in the, the Bacchus version, which is quite similar, it's also phonet- philologically, phonetically transliterating to hues. So I think that's interesting, giving us the word for like the color spectrum, but also uh, something that is a severer. Uh, that's interesting. Like you could link the music and the, and the colors together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because how do you make different notes? You have to cut the monochord at different ratios. Yeah. And the notes pertain to colors. So there's that. I didn't explain the IHS thing with Bacchus very well, but I've, I've done it better before. So <laughs> in the past, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Um, so this is just another way of breaking it down where you have um, three cubes again, but the center cube would be, if you look at the angles of each face is 360 degrees. Um, and each of those, each cube has six sides of 360 degrees. We'll give you the 2,160, um, 2, so 216 wow. again, and then you can add them together. Uh, that will give you the 648, which is sort of shows up a fair bit, the 846, 648, all the way around. But interestingly, the um, if you go 6,480 hours, it equals um, 270 days, which is you'd know a fair bit about this, um, Gabe, and it's the nine months. So, <laughs> blow my mind, dude. Wow, it's a birth cycle. Yeah, that's, that's great. This cube, I think there might be something to this cube thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, I mean, Oh, when people say we're born into the cube, you know, like, uh, yeah, this is remarkable. This is remarkable. I can't wait for SB to watch this. SB is going to dig the heck out of this with his uh, Enochian cube earth theory. It's going to. And that was slide 42 also, just for fun. (laughs) (laughs) Dang, this is so fun. Um, so the, the 216 again shows up in the angles, um, if it's a flat surface of, um, 720 for each of them is the total. So again, you get three times the 72. Okay. So each of the angles of the hexagon, which is the perimeter, the two dimensional perimeter of the cube is 120 degrees. Hmm. And you add those six 120 degree angles and get 720. And there's three of those in the flower of life. I'm just trying to help people that might listen to this later without looking at it. Okay. Yeah. What I'm really appreciating about all this right now too, is that when you first look into cube symbolism, most of it's going to be very masculine, you know, and you think of Saturn, father time, everything else. But what you're really doing here is you're bringing forward the feminine aspect of it, you know, with the flower of life and the, the circles and the Vesca Pisces and everything else. So it's a really holistic way of looking at the cube. Whereas when I first was looking into cube symbolism years ago, I wasn't getting any of that stuff. So I think that's really important to note here and uh, is, is awesome just to kind of recognize. 
Great point. Yeah, that's a great point. So here's your 72. Um, the, basically, these are called lenses. These are inside the, um, the circles. They're not the vesica. They are a vesica in a sense, but they're smaller. Um, and when you color them in, you'll get 72 petals or 72 lenses. Um, so that's where you find the 72, which is 27. Um, 72 is 27 backwards. Right, right. I wonder if this is why it's so easy to trick people into working in cubicles. But um, <laughs> there's something to it. <laughs> Someone out there laughed. I don't know who it was. <laughs> uh, Vibrant is all about dad jokes. If you can fit them in, okay, we'll try. Um, this is looking at the triangle aspect of it. So if you count the triangles in total, um, you'll have 54 total triangles. Um, and if you're looking at it as a full cube, so this is just one side of the cube and it has 54, then on the back side of the cube will be another 54 and that'll give you 108 triangles for a full cube. Now, um, I think I've said before, but the 1.08 times 27 equals 29.16, which is an approximate lunar month in days. That is a huge one. Yeah, we're not up really up. We're nearly up to the um, the synodic stuff. So you'd be oh, able yeah, to that's see just, that's the, just the gonna Lincoln. melt people's brains if they weren't already melted. All right, uh, twenty nine is allegedly the uh, orbital period of Saturn that comes to mind, and I know you you broke that oh, down yeah. with us before. The Saturn uh, Moon Matrix, <laughs> yeah, synodic synodic moon month or a synodic moon full cycle is um, similar to the that number of years that Saturn takes to finish the cycle. That's what you're saying, right? Oh, uh, 27. Yeah. Yeah. They say also, it's 29, but I get it closer to 27. Yeah. Yeah. Just because 27 and 72 have come up so many times, um, the 72 goetic demons, right? And then the oh. 72 names of God. And then there's angels. There's 72 angels that correspond with that. The Shem Hameforash. I believe that's what it's called. And so just thought I would throw that out there, especially with the last slide that you showed with the 72 petals right there in the middle. That makes a lot of sense. You say Hameforash? Uh, I believe it's uh, Shem Hameforash is what it's referred to. The 72 uh, angels, which is related to the 72 names of God, which course has a correspondence with the 72 demons. Okay. That's what about the 72 cool. virgins? Do you get them when you go to heaven, don't you? <laughs> I don't know. Is it 72? Maybe. Could be. I don't know. I don't know. No, it's said to be that. Yeah, but... People also claim that in Arabic, 72 is sort of like a colloquialism to say a shitload. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily mean exactly 72. That's funny. <laughs> okay. All right. So this, this slide here is um, breaking down the septenary um, cipher 
into its masculine and feminine principles. And I put the masculine as um, your odd numbers, like one, three, and five, and the feminine as two, four, and six. And so when you break these down or split them apart, you leave out the seven. <clears throat> and from that, you can actually derive um, the 108. Um, so 12 times the nine, uh, you can derive the 24 times 18, which will give you the 432. And you'll get the 666 and uh, 666 and the 888. Um, so the mean of that is your 777, which people sort of recognize as a pretty spiritual number. Um, and then you'll also get, when you do this breakdown, you'll get the 396 uh, and the 2396s, which is, again, a, an encoding for the 369. But what you're actually seeing is that the septenary cipher um, encodes the cubic uh, numbers. That's what I mean by the Selfeggio is also very related to the 369. That pattern of 369 is replete through all the different ways you slice the Selfeggio sequence of numbers. So this is very cool. Yep. Um there's a bit to this. I've actually done about five pages of this breakdown and you can find huge amounts of information just by um, using breaking down the this cipher into a left and a right, if you will, or a masculine and a feminine. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll see that these numbers here, like the 135, is just a rearrange that and you'll get the 153 again, which will point to the vesica. Um, and you also get the breakdown for each of these um, will give you the three, uh, the 33 and the 99 um, or the three and the nine, and that'll give you the 27 as well. Um, and 27 wow. times 27 um, relates to actually two cycles of the sun, which is 364.5. But we'll see that in the next, <laughs> next slide. This <laughs> like, this goes on forever. This stuff. It I tell does. You. This is amazing. There's so much here. God, you could just take all day on every slide. This is amazing. Wow. Yeah. This is quite a tour. We're, we're spoiled tonight. Gravy, <laughs> gravy is fresh and hot. Okay, so all the synodic stuff. Yeah, this is, yeah. we've talked about this before, but we all want a refresher. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is pretty amazing. Um, it's, it's not exactly to what they say, um, in, you know, the mainstream of their 0.66, but it's, it's about 2%. I worked it out. It was about 2% difference overall, um, from what they say. Um, with given the synodic times of the, the luminaries. But it's all based on 27. So 4 times 27 will give you the 108. And 1.08 times the 27 will give you the uh, 29 days, 29.16 days of a lunar month. It's, very, it's pretty close. I mean, it's point something out. And then Mercury is 16 times 27, which will give you the 432. Um, 432 times the point um, 27 will give you uh, 116.64. So that will give you the uh, Mercury's synodic. The 
And so it goes on and on. But what was really, really interesting about it is if you add up the multiples of 27 for each of the planets, so moon, four, uh, Mercury, 16, sun, 50, Venus, 80, and so on, you'll actually get a total of tw- of the number of 27s is 364 27s. Um, and then if you divide the, if you find the mean of those seven planets um, or luminaries, you'll, you'll get 52. So it's telling you about a 364 day calendar just by the synodics and the, the multiples of 27. And why, you know, why I don't really bother about or worry about too much if it's, in or out so much, you know, like it's, you know, you're a day out here or a day out there. Um, it's because really looking at the underlying uh, harmonics or harmony between all the planets. So um, I just found this really fascinating that these numbers um, correlate to a type of calendar <clears throat> and that Saturn one of its main sort of um, numbers that turns up is the 52, which is the 52 weeks of the year. Um, it's also has a number of correlations to the average mean. In, in what that means is Saturn is acting as like a binder of all the rest of the synodic times. In a sense, it's holding it all together. So I just found that really fascinating as well. Completely, completely, and and Saturn is kind of Saturn's depicted as being kind of mean. Yeah, (laughs) but um, yeah, that is cool. So makes me wonder how how accurate are the sort of NASA professional astro astronomer people's numbers anyway and the other question is is it actually the same every year are they really truly traveling the exact same speed or what if there was something happening where it kind of like averages out to what lucas is showing us here but sometimes it's a little faster sometimes it's just a little bit slower but it's hard for us to tell because we're not no we're not up there counting you know very few people are from what I can tell, there was a, a guy that was counting Mercury synodic times and it had a cycle of seven. So it would do, it'd be within a day. It wasn't accurate every single time, but over the seven years, it would have like a, a longer period and then it, it would go through its own little fluxes in a sense. See, that makes um, way more sense and it reflects nature that we can observe more as well because nature has patterns, but there's like wiggle within that pattern. Not every, you know, not every raccoon is the exact same shape, size, and dimensions. Yes. Yeah. And I, th- I think they're reacting to each other as they go around a little bit. So, you know, one's getting, you know, a little bit slower, or a little bit faster or whatever it is, but yeah, you're just looking at Saturn seems to hold it all together was the main point in 27 based on that cube is, is relating to all the synodic times. Right. And even, uh, I think of like, you know, how many meteors hit every year, 
uh, and in what direction they hit. Uh, also, yeah, whatever is the grand mover may or may not be the breath of Odin, whatever you consider it, you know, it, yeah, lots of wiggle for sure. Uh, uh, a lot of these figures, I don't have it with me, but they do correspond with, with what, uh, you know, Kepler and Copernicus, uh, and Ptolemy, you know, the figures that they were coming up with, which kind of indicates that it even has consistency over the 200 years, what it maybe even, I think that might be 300 years since they wrote those numbers down, but there, it has consistency all the way back to their time. Which means global warming is a hoax. (laughs) That's what I've been thinking the whole time, dude. Like, is it just calendar fuckery that gives people the whole global warming idea? I don't know. Uh, Okay, so this one is um, dealing with the hand, and it's just a a different way of calculating on your hands. Um, you have the 14 segments of your hand and then you drop one finger down and then you see what's on either side of um, that finger. It's so it, you, the finger that's dropped is acting as a placement in a sense or a, a stop. So for the first one, um, you have 14 and then you drop the first finger and that'll give you two on one side and it will give you um, nine on the other side. So we're counting the pads on the hand. Just yeah. to reiterate. Yeah. Yep. It's also known as the phalanges. Phalanges, yeah. Um, so if you follow this pattern all the way to its end, um, then you get, uh, and then you calculate how many added up as a total, you'll get the 432. So, and again, looking at the synodic times, the 432 relates to mercury as a synodic time um it is also in the name of equus or jesus and that's when you times uh five times four times six times six times six will give you the four three two zero so we're seeing a correspondence between the singular hand and mercury um synodic time wow that's fascinating. Oh my God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah. Marty Leeds does a lot of work on the um, how the hands have lots of encodings. This is just one way that I've found. Um, but there's, yeah, there's so many more. The Marty's. Brilliant. We'll try I think we should, you guys cool to just push through to the end. I think we have like 10 slides after this. I'm good for it. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm down for sure. Oh, good. Let's do it. All right. Um, well, uh, when I looked at the this um, net again, what you see is that if you divide it in half, it's actually a pyramid without a cap. <laughs> so it's missing the capstone. And so when you start looking at that capstone that's actually missing there, then it points to this uh, breakdown here, which is um, a triangular number of six. And you can actually do a certain little bit of um, mathematics with this as well, and you'll get the 32 out of it, but it's uh, it's sort of pointing at the eye of Providence geometry. 
Because the eye of provenance is actually a geometry that's created from the intersecting of circles. Um, We should be able to see that in the... yeah, oh, you can see it here with the triangular and then the, the little petal or the iris in the center there. Right. It's right, right. interesting too. The 13 is M is the 13th letter. <laughs> the M Whoa, the 13 nice. is in the middle of this pyramid. The pyramid is the fire in the middle, pyramid, pyramid. So the 13 being in the middle of the pyramid, to me, that's just like the M pyre. Yeah, that's why it's the symbol of the empire. Ooh, nice. That's awesome. I brought this up before, but the um, the runes right that Odin found from the World Tree. He basically the runes. Uh, there's an M rune, and then there's an M with an X rune, and one of them is man, and the other one is horse. So there's an interesting relationship between the man rune and the horse rune. And then you just brought up M and that's what we're talking about right here. (laughs) You know, Uh, it also makes me wonder too, if that eye of Providence um, is symbolic of the keystone and that the upper half of those circles represents that Royal arch that I've been talking about. Um, If I had a visual, I could show you guys, but you guys probably get what I'm throwing out there. This is interesting. I dig that. Uh, have you guys ever heard, I believe it's, I think it's Plato who claims that six is the first perfect number. The first number, yeah, the first perfect number. Does that ring a bell to anybody? No. No. I didn't know Plato talk, oh, who was it, Pythagoras talking about the Tetractus, which is one more line onto this, but. um, Maybe it's Pythagoras who said it. I get those two flip flopped when, yeah, I think it was Pythagoras. So this is just the that would be the capstone, sort of missing from that picture. Um, mm-hmm. And you can see if you go one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six, it will give you the twenty-one, which is three sevens. And then it's one times two times three times four times five times six will give you the 720, which is the 72 or 27 mirrored. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, do you guys see the, uh, the chalice that is on the, uh, Magi's, the Magi? He's got a chalice on the table. Yeah. There's, a cup. There's yeah. a cup right there in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, yeah. Right. There is. Good call. Exactly. The Holy Grail. There it is. We found Holy it. Grail. <laughs> the missing capstone. Holy Grail. Wow. Holy. <laughs> this is amazing, Lucas. All right. Um, so that's the eye of providence again. And what you can do with it, it's it's actually the half half of the seed of life. And it's like the first shape that you're gonna build out of geometry that basically creates a triangle. Um, now it has two X's that can be drawn within that. And if you look at the, um, the septenary cipher, the two X's, uh, is 33. So that's just, and X is, uh, X is an archaic symbol for the sun too. There we go. And it makes me think of one of the names for Buddha, which is Zaka. Oh, wow. It also makes me think of Hecate. 
the two X's. And also to the uh, Zaka would be like three, one, three, one. <laughs> Interestingly enough. What about a Braxis? What about a Braxis? Well, that just got the X's in it through it. So uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's what that axis means. Uh, the axis, right, is that it's the staff for the caduceus that Mercury's holding there. And then I said it earlier, but Mercury being related to the crossroads, uh, this gives it new meaning, actually. So that's fascinating. Um, this is some geometry that I did using the eye of providence. Um, I found it actually by looking at um, the, it was an arc of triumph. It is a sort of like an arch that's laid out on the ground, but it has a certain, it was div- divided into 12, but it wasn't exactly, t- um, you know, like 30 degrees each. It was off. I'm like, what's, what's going on with that? And so I started to play around with the geometry um, of the the arch of triumph and it, I came across this, which is using that um, geometry of the eye of providence. And what's really interesting about it, although it's not exactly 30 degrees divisions, um, you'll actually, it actually brings the eight and the 12 together into one sort of usable um, symbol or geometry in a sense. You have the four sides, um, the, the cross in the center, and then the divisions of the 12. So it all almost like it brings the two sort of zodiacs in a sense, which was one was based on eight and one was based on 12. And it sort of amalgamates them into one sort of symbol, which I found just really, really fascinating. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's beautiful to look at. It is. And adding to that, um, I've heard people talk about an 88, uh, constellation system of the zodiac that mm-hmm. maybe predated the 12. And aren't there 88 constellations? Yes, that's my understanding too. Yeah. Interesting. 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 And eight, sure. by eight, eight by eight gives you the 64 of the I Ching, of the DNA codons, of computing uh, language, all kinds of things there. Excellent. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so this is where that pyramid that we looked at was um, with the, including the capstone um, gives you the 28 triangular numbers. Um, and from that full pyramid, it gives you the calendar. So like you pointed out, the mid one, the mid uh, number is 13, which is your 13 months. And then the bottom row here is uh, seven points, which is your seven days. And then it's um, the total triangular number is 28, which is 28 days a month. So you have the 13 (laughs) times the 28 will give you the 364, which again sort of points to, um, yeah, that synodic times and a type of calendar, which is based on actually star rotation. So that's why it's got one day less. Because it's the zodiac moves um, 364 days, does 364 cycles within a 365 day year. That's glorious. Nice. 
adding to the horse symbolism with the 13, 13 is the death card. And traditionally he's seen riding that horse. So there's that. Yes. And the horse, just to even uh, lean into that, he has one hoof is picked up off the ground. So he's got one up and three down. It's the one three. Ah, nice, dude. Very interesting. Good stuff. This is awesome. So just to show that the 364-day calendar is sort of baked into the stars themselves, um, this is the three kings. This is the three stars in the Orion's belt. Um, and when you do the gematria for these stars, you you can break down and get the full calendar out of it. Um, so if you look at, um, I think that's the consonants there. Um, you can see that there's, they'll break down into a three, six and four. It'll give you the seven, seven, seven again. So pointing to that, uh, capstone. Um, it also has a total gematria value for the Orion's belt, which will be 52. And so it's it's giving you, you know, the 364, the 52 weeks, seven days, and that sort of thing. So it's pretty amazing how this stuff is actually encoded into the star names. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so amazing. I'm authentically impressed too. But I'll keep us pressing forward. This is just another one. This is based on Aquila. Um, three stars in the head of the eagle. Um, again, it's when you break them down, you get the three, six, four. Yeah, it's another one that's got the triple seven in it, so it's pointing to that um, the the capstone. Um, but yeah, so it's not just in one place. Is sort of what I'm pointing at here. Wow. Even beyond, honestly, these specific examples, you're just opening me up to new potentials and possibilities that feel very real and significant. And why wouldn't there have been this much time refining the names, switching letters, corresponding it with mythologies, creating new mythologies, you know, all this kind of stuff to make these systems. Like, so I just appreciate that in general of just like, you're expanding my awareness of what is going on up there. Yeah. What else did they have to do? (laughs) (laughs) This seems so remarkable to us because we're in the age of distraction and busyness and a lot of options, but True. Not everyone in history had that many options of things to do. This is a tower buster right here. This <laughs> Yeah, so this is just how you break down again the three six four day calendar, but it's using um a playing deck of cards. So each of the, the four suits will represent the four seasons. Um and then you can also do the basically the breakdown of each of the cards, their values, but also the gematria of the name Jack, Queen, King, Ace, so forth, and you'll get different sort of um, products from it. But when you go through from Ace to King, just using numbers, so 1 to 13, it will give you 
um, a value of 91. 91 will, for each suit is basically one quarter. So 91 times four is 364. <laughs> and then you have the Joker as a wild card, um, whose value is 19. Um, that is basically your sort of Polaris figure, but it also relates to this trickster value of, um, what Mercury is. Um, so <laughs> basically when you add that all together, you're getting, it tells you about a calendar. Um, and it also tells you about this triple 11 down here, which is a reference to the 37 and the Trinity. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's all there. Uh, anyway, I hope that's explaining it well. I'm, I'm probably doing a pretty rough job at it. Oh, well, we're three hours in. You're doing great. Yeah, <laughs> this is one to screenshot this slide, but I will yeah, be sharing this in the telegram. Thank you, Lucas. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, this is cool expansion on Gabriel's diction of Aries from back in the day. Big time. Look how far we've come, guys. Wow, my so mind thanks is to you. blown. This is so cool. Yeah, that slide is an entire conversation in itself. I'll just show this one because it shows up in unlikely um, places. And for me, I had sort of, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and we, I had this idea about what demons were and all this sort of stuff, bad spirits and things like that. But, you know, you can really break the spell of certain words and ideas just by doing the gematria for it. And this was one of them for me. Um, the word demon, and you actually can break it down and it will show the 364-day star calendar. And so it's it's really showing this maybe this trickster value again or um, I think the word's been demonized, let's face it. <laughs> Is that a dad joke? <laughs> <laughs> I think it definitely counts. As a that qualifies joke. for sure. But yeah, when you break the gematria down for demon, the word demon, which is D moon or mon, the the one in a sense. Um, yeah, you can find pi in there. You can find the three hundred and sixty four day calendar. Um, you can find the number forty two, um, which is a mirror of twenty four hours. And in the concept of a, demons, part at least in part, probably comes from some religions looking at other religions like gods. And entities and being like, that is an evil one. That's a demon. But the, there's 300 and the, the Egyptians said that there were 364, I think, Neturu inside you, inside each person. I find that interesting in correlation to what you're talking about here. Neturu being their gods. Probably, possibly the concept of demons is more better understood as teaching just like the same with gods as teaching tools about concepts and the proclivities of human nature rather than like, you know, I think when you idolatrize gods and consider them to be something beyond like descriptions of nature and natural processes and allegory, I think you're in the same realm as <laughs> worshiping demons personally. 
and mm-hmm. believing that the demons are real. I think the best way to look at them is allegorical. Now, that being said, part of the confusion could come about because the other idea of a demon is like divided mon or divided mind. Mm-hmm. And in the biofield, in our actual Taurus, if you just like the division of the Taurus or the division of the flower of life that you're showing that keeps repeating us to these different sections of it and chunks of it um, in your own biofield divisions of your energy that are blocked off and compartmentalized from each other do hold on to a type of what you would consider demonic consciousness. But mm-hmm. the, uh, the trap is or I think the, the problem is believing that it's like something separate from you attacking you. And the power is realizing, oh, that is a part of myself that I am hurting myself with and I need to reintegrate. And I believe the same goes for everything division, <laughs> reintegrated as aspects of the wholeness. I love it, man. I love it. I got to point out, you reverse the word trap and you get the word part. And I'm actually working on a system right now. It's nothing nearly as freaking awesome as what. Lucas has given us here, but I'm uh, working on the Enneagram and uh, corresponding the uh, seven deadly sins and the infernal uh, personalities that are assigned to the deadly sins. And, um, And hopefully my ultimate goal is to flip on a light switch and cast shadows onto the shadows of the seven deadly sins and find the ascended aspects and uh you know highlight the corresponding angelic realms to all of those Hmm. the nine different uh personality matrices and so yeah i love that you use the word trap and the concept of taking apart uh human psychology that's totally what i'm kind of focusing on in the next week Sounds awesome, dude. I'm into it. That's really cool. Yeah, that sounds really good. As with everything Gabriel does, totally awesome. <laughs> uh, last three slides are pretty quick, and it's just showing the different sort of gematria that you can get out of it, which is basically you can get the 12 divisions, the zodiac out of that. Um, I mean, that's pretty basic <laughs> after all is said and done. <laughs> Yeah, but still relevant. That's kind of what I was getting at earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And you get other symbols that that come out of it as well, which is the Maltese cross. Uh, This is a 12-hour clock. We know about those guys. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This is a 24-hour clock, and this is a Templar cross. So they're built out of the geometries of or the the geometry of this net. Oh, chance, yeah. Wow. So we've got temp, you know, templar. It's got the word time. Temp is in there. And so one is uh, military. You know, the twenty-four hour clock is how they read it in military. So that's kind of interesting too. That uh, going from the Maltese to the Templar, it brings forward the difference between the civilian clock 
in the military clock. There's but even the Maltese are a military order. And yes. with that LR switch, the Maltese are pretty martial. <laughs> Martian. Oh, yep. Yep. Mm, I love this. <laughs> awesome. We're almost home, guys. That's that it. actually might have been it. All that right. That was it. Well, it's abrupt. Oh, well, thank you back. for, I hate that. Thank you for letting me to show Just that. That was, that was brilliant. Thanks. Yo, it's sharing, man. It's a huge gift. Excellent work. It how was. Many, how many slides was that? 60. 60. 60. I took oh. out some. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was one of those like things. 42. Yeah. I think you had well, like was, 100 slides originally. <laughs> It was one of those things. Once I, I found the cu- the cube, then I had a heap of information that I'd done work on before. And like I said, there was like a, a bit over here, a bit over there. And then once I found the numbers to draw it all together, I was like, ah, oh, now I can put it into a coherent form. Whereas before I couldn't. Um, it was just like, yeah, I've, I've, you know, like your slides with the stars and how they relate to the calendar. I was like, okay, yeah, but that's, that's great. But where does it fit to the hand or where does it fit to the, uh, synodic sort of things? And it really started to bring it together with that 27 cube. So, um, and that's why it was not so hard to pull all that information together. And I actually did it within a week because I had a lot of previous material that I'd worked on, but never the a proper placement in a sense. I really appreciate the time we exist in right now that slides like that research like this is so accessible in the sense that you have like graphics programs and ways to like overlay things on other things. And there's a lot of censorship on the internet for sure. And information can be obscured, but it's still better than it's ever been in terms of like opportunity for us to figure out where we are, where we came from and put it all together like this. So super, super mind blown. And I think the chat is also really loving it. (laughs) I see a lot of the names in here have been here since the beginning. So really appreciate everybody in the chat too. This has been awesome. And what my point in saying that too, uh, about the, like, this is a great time for this type of research is that other other people out there could be doing this too, you know, just start putting things together. See, see what you can find out. There, there's no end. This is like a, a limitless ladder to gnosis right here. When you start to syncretize numbers and, and geometry and music and it's continually going to reveal more and more to us. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I hope it does. That's, that's why I sort of do it. And I like doing it obviously, but it's, it's nice to share it. And, um, have people bring up new ideas and have you guys step in with your own sort of, um, you know, mind banks and get in there and um, bring it to a new, new level that I might not have seen because yeah, it is really good fun to actually learn about this stuff. You know what would be cool? Maybe the, uh, maybe the thing for the four horsemen, this group right here of us could be that we like rotate off coming up with presentations. They don't all have to be three hour presentations either. But like, you know, take turns, go in a a cycle of picking a topic and coming up with a little bit of a presentation to it. It doesn't have to be as extensive as Lucas is. I mean, it can. I'm not going to mind, but I think that would be pretty awesome. Just throwing it out there as an idea. We'll I would love that. There. Sign me up, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sounds good. 
Yeah, it just really helps all of us push our own flow forward too. Like this is iron sharpens iron. I didn't even bring up the whole other aspect of Mars and the sea and mare and maritime and shipping and all that being that Mars is iron and Ferris is to carry. You know, that was something that I thought of earlier and it just popped back in my mind. Right. Also guys right. in the oh, so the horse is a ship, you mean? Yeah. It's a carrier. Yeah. One hundred percent, exactly right. That's what I was going to say. Actually, you know, um, just the vessel journey symbolism with the horse and the bow and the chariot—it's all part of the same thing. And now, after today, I really am corresponding the horse with the circle as well. There's so much going on there, and the horse with just the wheel—you know, the wheels of time and everything else. So uh, that's brilliant. You guys have actually—you've changed my mind a couple of times on a few things that I've been thinking about recently, and I feel like uh, my awareness of things has honestly truly expanded. So my mind was blown a couple of times here. I, I kept it, you know, close to my chest or whatever. Uh, but <laughs> there was some stuff going on that you know was really brilliant. So I have a lot of notes and I took a lot of screenshots. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to yeah see what you guys come up with and bounce off it. It's going to be. Um... Yeah, just take it and run with it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait either. And I, I, I'm looking forward to going through the chat when I re, do a rewatch. I can't wait to see everybody's comments. It was a really popping chat tonight. Some hot fire up in there. Well, it's 11 11 where I'm at. Guess we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was waiting good. for a time that rooster symbolism was going to come up and it never did. And I was going to play this. So. <laughs> it's time to go. I'm gonna play this now instead of at an appropriate time because I thought this was funny. I'll play this and then we'll go. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> that's where we're at right now yeah uh, right that's us it's time for me yeah. well played well played perfect. perfect all right good night everybody thanks make sure you follow lc king on rockfinner youtube symbolic studies to get mario's awesome work slick dissident for gabriel and uh hit me up for sound healing tuning sessions want to do that let me know if you need more info get in our telegram groups do all the things i love you all nighty night much love, everyone. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.